This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Uh, Fourth of July Eve. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. <sighs> We're going to be taking on Donald Trump today. Not taking him on, but ex- trying to understand the uh, commander-in-chief. Joe Cannon will be joining us and walking us down that fine line of trying to give us insight into something that none of us really understand. It's a hard time to be <laughs> a commentator. Uh, we're talking politics today. Uh, Joe Cannon, Joe in the Know will be uh, joining us also today, of course, uh, celebrating in a disobedience day. Huh. I'm not going to celebrate that. Well, you celebrate it every year. Tomorrow's Independence Day. Today is Disobedience Day. It seems like Independence Day would be a more honorable thing to celebrate. Tomorrow. You do that tomorrow. And today we There's just... plenty of time for We're that. just disobedient. Yeah. I don't agree to that. I'm not going to do it. Oh, he's doing it again. He's yeah. already disobeying. That's good. Oh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Lamar Simpson. Wrong. Liam. With a cute son named Sloss. What is this, the Goonies? Slav. Stan. <laughs> Stan. We're calling him Stan today. Stanislav, also known as Stas. There you go. Yeah. But it's just but it's not. It's not Stanislav. Yeah. Uh, Disobedience Day, plus um, a lot of just, uh, I don't know, interesting stuff going on in the world, especially the world of politics. I mean, if you think... The repeal and replace thing is possible. We'll see. Yeah. It's messing up a lot of people because if they would just not have to do the repeal and replace, then there wouldn't be as much pressure. But a lot of the congressmen and women had to go home and have a lot of... They're going to have parades and picnics. A lot of people mad at them. Yeah. Because they're just not getting it done. So we'll talk uh, all that fun stuff. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we need to pay attention to? At least 28 people were injured, but none were killed in a shooting at a nightclub in Little Rock, Arkansas on Saturday morning. We do not believe this incident was an active shooter or terror-related incident. It appears to have been a dispute at a concert. And uh, that was the tweet from the Little Rock Police Department. So 28 people injured, nobody killed. Wow, well, We walk into a concert with a gun, and uh, that's probably the... Best. That's outcome. a great scenario, actually. So, see what happens. Days after a, a drone force firefighting aircraft out of the sky over a raging wildfire in Arizona, the drone pilot is facing charges. The Yavpai County Sheriff's Office arrested 54 year old Gene Allen Carpenter Friday on 14 counts of felony endangerment and one misdemeanor count of unlawful operation of an unmanned aircraft. There you go. The Goodwin Fire has burned more than 25,000 acres of the Prescott National Forest since last Saturday. More than 1,200 firefighters have been involved in fighting the fire. The drone was spotted flying near the fire Wednesday around 7 by air attack pilots. When the drone began circling the plane, officials grounded the aircraft in the area, including five helicopters, three large air tankers, and five heavy air tankers. Because they lacked air cover, ground crews on that were fighting the fire on the ground were actually pulled back. Wow. And so he just... With one drone, just killed the entire operation. Numerous witnesses say they saw him flying the drone in the area. And, of course, officials arrested him after they went to his website and saw all the wonderful photographs he has (laughs) of uh, 
the good, firefighting good. effort. So he went down. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about drones on the show. But if you're going to endanger lives and be dumb, it's not like he doesn't know the laws and the rules. Right. He knew. They're pretty clear. And he, he's going to pay the price. Uh, possibly another price needs to be paid. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie spent part of the weekend lounging on a state beach that he ordered closed to the public amid a local government shutdown. Oh, boy. The, uh, photos show. This is in the Newark Star-Ledger and a bunch of other By the way, places. it looks like photos from a drone. Possibly. <laughs> Christie spent Saturday night and part of Sunday at New Jersey's Island Beach State Park with family and friends, summer beach house owned by the government. The uh, park was among those closed over the weekend because of the ongoing statewide government shutdown after lawmakers were unable to pass a new budget. The governor's family, however, were apparently excluded from the visitation ban. Aerial photos obtained by the local newspaper shows the group of people, including Christy and his wife, Mary Pat, alone on an empty beach. I don't know if it's fair, but my family doesn't ask for any services while we were there, Christie told reporters at a news conference ahead of his visit, saying he had no plans to cancel the trip. He later added, run for governor, and you can have a residence there for yourself. Interesting. Now, maybe they were just testing the waters to make sure that there were no sharks. Maybe that's it. They were just trying to help the people of New Jersey. For others, the ban has been strictly enforced. NBC reports a local Cub Scout pack of about 25 kids was kicked out of Chesapeake or Chesaquake, saying it wrong, whatever, yeah. Chesaquake State Park over the weekend by authorities. Christie told reporters on Sunday that he didn't get any sun during the visit, but when his team was informed of the photos of Christie on the beach in a lounge chair just hanging out fully on the beach, his spokesman you- said <laughs> they clarified that the governor was on the beach, but he didn't get any sun because he had a hat on. Well, so there you go. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I, I didn't get any sun. So. You didn't? Oh, I got a lot of sun this weekend. He had a hat on. He was okay. Yeah. That, that, Chris Salisa with CNN saying this is a sign that he just doesn't care anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like, whatever. He's not getting reelected, so who cares? And he's now out sunbathing. <laughs> um, and finally, 4th of July. Yeah. The weekend, on through the holiday. How much money do you think that this nation spends on burgers? How, many, how much money does this nation spend on burgers annually? Burgers. Just oh, let's see. Bought. Uh, let's see. Is this annually? I think it's the the whole this holiday weekend. Are we talking hamburger or pink meat? Let's I think it's all together. Okay. Be I careful, would say, pink slime. Is I know a billion dollars. A billion. This says uh, eight hundred four million wow. worth of beef leading up to the holiday. Three hundred seventy one million worth of chicken. Oh, because you know you got a chicken. It's a lot of. We're chicken. gonna get KFC. There you go. Really. Which Bur- is kitchen fried chicken. Mm, that's the yeah. best kitchen fried chicken. Burger, steak, and chicken. Hot dogs are the fourth most popular food on people's grills. Uh, Texas, it's the number one. It's burger, and it's a hot dog market. Uh, grilling seafood, less popular than all those other meats, but we still bought $85 million worth of shrimp wow. and $48 million of salmon, according to Nielsen data. And Americans spent $43 million on barbecue sauce last Independence Day, topping ketchup, which had $37 million, and mustard at $25 million. <laughs> Exactly. That was a lot of mustard. It's a little too much. How much were hot dogs? Is that considered meat or was that in the other category? (laughs) It really should be other unless you get like the really good hot dogs. And at that point, they're sausages, bratwurst. See, I I can now eat food like that again. So it says after burger, steak, and chicken, hot dogs are fourth most popular on people's grills. They did not give a number of how many hot dogs were purchased for the weekend. When you're doing the grilling, you'll definitely get like hamburgers, maybe some chicken. But you have to get like the mandatory salmon filet for that one in ten person. Yeah. 
Like my wife's like, come, my no. wife's coming to the barbecue. Yeah, again. Nah. you just don't invite that person. Well, I know, but what if that's your other half? What if that's your spouse? Well, you know, there's dessert to be made. <laughs> Make a salad. That's kind of rude. So you're you're uninviting. Send them and make them do chores. Hmm. There's weeds that need pulled. Go when pull you, them. That's when you feel like do. you want to have a steak, you can come on out. Come on out when you're ready to eat meat like the rest of us. <laughs> when you want to die young like the rest of us. Yeah, that's all I did this weekend was pull weeds. Mm. And I actually pulled my hamstring pulling weeds. We got some big weeds. Hmm. Or, or weak hamstrings. No, it's the weeds. Is it? Oh, yeah. okay. So I Have went, you seen my hamstrings? No, not, not, not recently. I went camping Friday night and was going to camp Saturday night in our Hold backyard. On. Why, 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 why? In our why? backyard. I know why, why. Because I wanted to camp with my daughters, but oh. I didn't want to take them very far is it, away. Is it's it kids camping, and it's fun. But is it camping in the backyard, really? Is it camping? Do, do the kids think it's camping? Absolutely. I mean, cause what really, does my wife care? Because it got the kids out of the house. That's totally true. Did yeah. you have a tent? We did. So Saturday night, Friday night was the last mild night yeah. of the summer. So we tried to do it again Saturday night, and it was about 10 degrees hotter. So about 10 o'clock at night, picked up my girls, put them back in their bed, and uh, went out the next morning and uh, realized that the lawn had been watered. And our tent and all of the mattresses that we used were completely soaked. soaked. Yeah. I thought you were going to say a bear had attacked. No. Wow. But our $100 mattress topper that uh, we used is soaking wet. Well, I'm sorry. Mm. Isn't it great, though, when you can just carry the kids inside and then you don't have to worry about your gear? You just go inside. That's a good life right there. Just turn the sprinklers off. Again, I wouldn't call it camping. It's uh, sleeping out. Sleeping outside. Yeah. Hey, we've got a fire pit in our backyard. We didn't use it, yeah, but so. it's there. Were there any threats of wild animals coming into your yard? Uh, maybe, because right as my daughters were falling asleep, I saw a shadow uh-huh. outside the tent and a wrestling. <laughs> like, and a I texted shadow. my wife, I think there's something outside the tent. And next thing I know, she turns on the light to check. <laughs> she turned on your backyard yeah. lights. And what did we find? Uh, she didn't see anything, but we're guessing it was maybe a cat. But this cat may be cancerous. Oh, yeah. It might be a, a carcinogen cat. Those are the worst It's kind. missing like half of the hair on its body. Ooh, what if it rubbed up on your tent and then you touched it and then all of a sudden you start losing your hair? That's how it happens. Scary camping That's stories. science right there. Did you hear about this kid in Alaska? 11-year-old boy shoots a bear that was charging their party uh, as they were fishing. The quick-thinking young boy saved a fishing party from a charging brown bear, according to state troopers. Elliot Clark, 11, was walking through the woods near Game Creek last week with his family, uh, three members, a daw and three dogs, when the bear came out and charged them. Not not a carcinogen, not a cancer-laden cat that may have and rubbed up on your tent. No, this was a full-on brown bear. Um, there was four of them in a line. My son was the third, Elliot's father said. The bear came down the trail at them. Uh, um, fella in the front, who was his uncle, the bear was on him so quickly that he didn't have time to take his rifle off his shoulder. The boy then raised up his pump-action shotgun and shot the bear with birdshot. An 11-year-old boy. Really? 
You it's know, a big deal. I I think I heard that this boy had some words with the bear before the bear started attacking. Oh, really? Him. What did he say? Bear, you're breaking it. What am I gonna do? Bear, please stop that. Please stop breaking my thing. Sounds it's like a lady. Not even food. Well, his voice hasn't. He's an eleven-year-old boy. Little boy. You know what? I don't know. I'm, I'm the afraid. last part was him being attacked. I know, but I'm afraid if I kept hearing that sound, I don't think the bear would be the thing I'd shoot. <laughs> Not to be rude. You do have a decision to make. You do. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. First shot hit the bear in the shoulder and did absolutely nothing. The next shot hit him in the nose and traveled through the neck. Whoa. Elliot's Whoa. father said not getting around to putting a sling on his, gun, his son's gun might have saved their lives. He didn't have time to put his son's sling on his gun, so he had to carry it ready to shoot. Oh, wow. Has he been contacted by the NRA yet to become yet. their new spokesman? No, but he will, okay. yeah. yeah. He's going to receive a huge endorsement. Commercials, yeah. <laughs> he pulled a Dick Cheney. Well, not really at all. Okay. That's a pretty cool thing. An 11-year-old boy saves his family from a bear attack. Uh, you know, we learned a couple weeks ago you don't play dead anymore with a bear. Not in Alaska. What are you supposed to do again? Fight him? Punch it in the face. Or pull out your shotgun. Well, yeah, if you don't. But if you got a pump-action shotgun. The people just, that are being attacked are riding bicycles and running through, you know, areas that are not don't necessarily. Don't play dead. Let's get that information Yeah, they out say there. playing dead is the wrong thing to do. Yeah. No, play Rambo, really. It's a lot safer for everybody. Speaking of Rambo, um, what's going on with Donald Trump? I don't he, know. He seems to be taking on. Mika Brzezinski and Scarborough Joe. Right. It seemed like he was. It seemed like he was getting some some pretty good movement. Okay. And then. Well, and, last week and then was, he regressed. last week was Energy Week. Yeah. And he finished it off with you know we're going to talk about someone's plastic surgery. Yeah. Why, why would you do that? And then yesterday he retweeted a video of the CNN logo over Vince yeah. McMahon's face, and then he's punching the logo. Yeah, and then there's a the question of like, okay, that might be funny, but at the same time, it's like, what are you really trying to say? If it's not, I mean, are you saying you're you're punching CNN in the face? Right. Well, well, and you, it's weird now because now you have Republican GOP senators coming out saying you're acting in a way that's not consistent with the office. Right. Like live up to your office. Mm-hmm. Where does he have the time to do all this? I don't know. It's well, he's just you know on his phone looking at Twitter. You know, he what? just retweets things yeah, that other I, people make. Can it seems like there is one thing that pretty much most of Congress would agree on, which is that he needs to stop Trump uh, tweeting. Trump needs to stop tweeting. Wrong. Yes. So why do we not create a bipartisan Should initiative they pass a law? and they pass a law that he couldn't veto? Because it would be veto-proof because the entire Congress would pass it that as president of the United States, you have to abstain from social media. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. I know. Sorry, Mr. Spicer. But right. it could actually unite this country. Every problem he's had, you'd walk it back yeah. and probably start it on It's Twitter. in his best interest. Yeah. If he stopped that, he'd probably actually get some things accomplished. Totally. But, you know. He's got to be able to talk to the I people, I propose man. that, and I think it would be fantastic if a Republican would do it. Except he's not talking about his agenda. He's not talking about he's going to go visit with Putin this week. He's got the health care. He's got the taxes. No, no, no. Yeah. He's talking about Mika Brzezinski's facelift. Yeah. That's or it was a chin thing or whatever. Whatever it was. it was, it was just a mess. And it's still a mess. 
See, whereas most presidents at this point would be re-gearing for re-election, I think he's just <laughs> oh, he's know, doing that. gearing up for a I, different I, I position. I think he's still trying to prove that he had more people at his, inaugura- at his inauguration. He says that at, like every speech. Yeah. Huh. He talked to the Coast Guard a couple weeks ago, and he's like, yeah, by the way, did, did I, you see that Electoral College win? Yeah, he's still talking about, he's, I mean... He's got the maps in the White House. In fact, the standing ovation that he got is still going on. Oh, it is. It's, yeah. It was a huge standing ovation. Uh, by the way, um, he he is celebrating Disobedience Day today. Every day. Donald Trump, President of the United States. We'll take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be joining us talking uh, all things political. He's going to help us walk through... The crazy chaos going on uh, with the Senate health bill and uh, all the fun straight ahead. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, once a week, we get the great pleasure of having Joe Cannon come join us. Joe is what we call our Washington Washington insider. He's Joe in the know. He was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration, was an editor of the Deseret News um, uh, newspaper, and is the, currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization that uh, spends a lot of time in Washington, D.C., trying to lower the fuel costs for you here in the United States. And we like to just pick his brain, figure out what he thinks is really going on back in D.C., because the rest of us have no clue. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi, <laughs> Matt. I'm not sure I have a clue either, by the way. Yeah, I know. You have a better clue than we do, that's for sure. Well, I mean, except... With uh, President Trump, you don't know what's going on. It is such a divided uh, – they, they can't – they talked and talked and talked about repeal and replace, repeal and replace, and yet when it comes right down to it, they can't get it done. What's going on? Well, so let me make the first caveat. I'm not an expert in health care at all, uh, and it is baffling that after actually almost nine years – and I don't know how many votes. Some people say dozens of votes. Some people say more uh, to actually repeal Obamacare. Now, when it gets right down to it, it's very hard. And I, I think the overarching thing is it's very hard to undo an entitlement. Mm. Once people get used to an entitlement, it's very, very tough. And uh, so I think that's part of it. And, that, and, and there are multiple parts of that entitlement, too, by the way. I mean, there, there, there are particular benefits to some people. Many states, I think maybe two-thirds of the states, or a huge chunk of the states, opted to have this um, subsidized Medicaid, Medicare process, you know, to basically enhance the state's medic, uh, you know, uh, insurance for uh, poor people, basically. And uh, even though that subsidy runs out sometime, lots of states opted for it. And uh, right now, right, literally right now, all these senators are back in their states, and a bunch of them are hearing from governors, hey, uh, Republicans, or just mm. keep this all, all on the Republican side of things. Uh, they're going, uh, they, the governors are saying, Look, don't don't kill us with this thing. So there's a lot of political cross pressure 
Uh, we've talked a lot on this show about how there are multiple Republican parties. There seems to be like one Democrat party, maybe right. some division between Clinton and Sanders. But there are multiple uh, uh, Republican parties, and they're all at war. They're at war with each other in the Senate. And just keep in mind, you've you got to have at least a three-vote uh, margin there. Right. Or you can't get it done. Why do they keep— Putting it up to vote, though, it seems like it seems like they don't know how to read their own people either. Well, uh, who I don't want to be one to second guess Mitch McConnell. I mean, he is a master. Is he? Senate. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think if I had to guess what his strategy is, he's saying, "Look, we have to vote, guys, folks. You know, fellow members here, we've got to vote." And. Um, I think he might have felt like that would put pressure on on some of these mm. people, but some of the people on whom he wanted to put that pressure, he should have known, are pretty pressure resistant. Um, so you've got you've got conservative, very strong conservative senators who don't think that his bill goes far enough, and you have moderate. Uh, I don't think there are any liberals, but you have moderate uh, Republican senators. Um, including some pretty important ones, saying, no, you, this goes too far, particularly, for example, on the Medicaid issue. Yeah. And you've got one you've got one very vulnerable Republican senator, the only Republican senator up for re-election in a state that Clinton won, i.e. Dean Heller in Nevada, uh, is in a very tough position uh, because uh, uh, Nevada was a Medicare ex- expansion state and it's a state that uh, clinton won mm. so anyway you have a you, you have a very small number of people that can throw this one way or the other and i think mcconnell's trying to satisfy all of them and he's having a hard time i will say one thing about about it that i think i understand a little bit better one of the biggest fights about this is that uh, besides being a health bill health care bill it was an enormous tax bill mm. And one of the things that the conservatives are not as happy with is, uh, look, you got to do something about those taxes. So what one of the taxes in there was a, a 3.8% surtax on capital gains and dividends. Basically, it raised the rate for those kind of taxpayers uh, from 20% to 23.8%. So maybe that doesn't sound like much, but it's a... $172 billion, and it directly, that, that money directly comes from what people would call sort of a tax on capital, the, the uh, availability of capital to invest in things. And it, so it comes down to deep philosophical argument. Democrats simply believe in the Keynesian or neo-Keynesian view that uh, tax rates don't affect economic growth. Republicans, on the other hand, believe that tax rates do affect um, uh, growth, and that an attack on um, an attack, uh, the fight over this particular surtax, is really a fight, an ongoing fight over this whole issue about whether taxes are pro-growth or unrelated to growth. Most Republicans believe that they're pro-growth, and there are all kinds of examples. But this tax which is now 23.8%, as recently as 2012, was 15%. So it's already gone up quite a bit. Mm. And and um, even cutting it back 3.8% only gets you halfway 
to the to the Bill Clinton Newt Gingrich budget deal, which a lot of people, including Democrats, including Bill Clinton, believe fueled uh, tremendous economic growth uh, in the 90s. So, you know, the, I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal here, but they they basically say that there's an analysis that shows if you if you cut this tax back, you get 133,000 new jobs. You pump up the economy by 0.7%. So 0.7% doesn't sound much, but we're talking about uh, gross domestic product rates of 1% to 3 to 4%. Um, so this would be a material in that regard. And at the, the, the end of the day, they also think that the bottom 60% of income earners get basically a two-thirds, three-quarter percent uh, increase in their income, so actually putting money back into the pockets of of workers. So uh, this this is a, you know largely about uh, healthcare, but a very big chunk of this is uh, is a debate over our uh, the pro growth or not pro growth. Uh, consequence of tax policy. Right. Well, and it goes so. back to it's so super complicated anyway. And then um, it feels like, to, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like uh, President Trump is, uh, he, he want, He just wants something passed, doesn't he? It doesn't seem like he's he's leading it. It felt like with President Obama, he was more in a leadership seat of this, of this type of legislation than than President Trump. Does Trump need to, President Trump need to get down and and be meeting more with Congress? Would that help? Does he need to be more of an advocate of a plan? Or, well, I mean, or does I, it not matter? Right. Last week he met with 52, all 52 Republican senators. I think they all showed up. Uh, and, uh, and they stand, you know, he, yeah, how, he still couldn't get it then. But, but yeah, but still, uh, like I said, these, these, Factions, and they're very I, I calling them factions. Kind of dignifies them. You're only talking about four people, two, yeah, three, yeah. four, six. You know, depending on the issue, people. It's a it's a small set uh, when you're playing with such a narrow, narrow majority. And I believe, I just by, uh, I guess I don't even want to say. I, I have firsthand knowledge from a one of the more conservative Democrat offices. There is zero chance there are going to be any Democrat votes on this bill. Huh. And if there are, well, and if there are, that would just – anything you need to do to get a Democrat vote on this is going to alienate multiple uh, senators on the Republican side. So I, I, huh. I do not see a bipartisan outcome here. Mm. Is um... – I mean, and meanwhile, we hear like other people, other insurance companies are now backing out of their exchanges in Ohio and in other places. I mean, the the weight, the historic weight of of um, Obamacare anyway was going to it's it's collapsing, it's falling in on itself, isn't it? So if we don't make some decision soon, won't it eventually become the GOP's problem? Well, yeah, I'm seeing that's one of the one of the fears uh, on the on the Republican side. But yeah, no. The the many of the insurance exchanges are collapsing, and in fact, uh, insurance rates costs went up, and in some cases, dramatically. I mean, I actually heard an, an interesting piece on NPR, which is not your typical place to go to hear uh, hear uh, negative things about Obamacare. But they had a little segment just talking about you know the deductibilities going up, the premiums going up, mm. and the 
lack of availability. So there is a problem with Obamacare, no question about that. Wow. A big chunk of this is still an entitlement for many, many people in many states, not just individuals, but states are the, if I can make up a word, entitlees uh, under this plan. So it's, it's mm. obviously for easy, it would have been done. Yeah. What do you think about what's happening to President Trump's reputation globally? We know he's been down in a lot of polls uh, internationally, and yet he's now breaking or heading uh, to the G20 summit, um, visiting Poland and ex-communist country in Central Europe before making his longtime visit with Britain, France, Germany. Uh, Anything – I mean, is is he going to be able to get them to like him? how does this look as he, as he sets up to leave town? Well, wow. There's a lot to unpack in this G20 slash Poland trip. Um, the, the answer is I think he, he obviously cares a lot about what people think about him. Yeah. But it, uh, it, not enough to overcome his, some pretty fixed policy views that he has. So, you know, I mean, it's, it'll be very interesting what this, uh, how this G20, uh, the whole, what, what's the, I don't know, the panorama, what, what is it going to look like after? Yeah. But um, I, I did want to say, I mean, obviously he's also having a side meeting with Putin. He's meeting with the G20. I think, though, uh, a much overlooked story is this meeting that he's going to Poland. It's not just to Poland. It's this thing called the Three C's Summit, and it's very interesting. It's it, the three C's involved here are the uh, Adriatic, hmm. the Baltic, and the Black Sea. And basically, those those are countries, many of which, almost all of which, are former uh, Soviet countries. So you've got Poland, Czech, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. Austria, Romania, Bulgaria, Slovenia, and Croatia. Well, so why is he doing that? Uh, so these are all countries that are kind of in between Russia and the European Union. Many, if not all of them, are, are also members. I don't know. I didn't break it down on how many are members of the European Union. But this is at one level, no matter what else happens, this is kind of a shot at, at by, by Trump. Hmm. Just to, to, in my view, and others, not just me, to weaken the control of uh, the European Union over these countries. Oh, so wow. Very, very significant. Uh, so I, I think that, and, and, and some pretty smart people have called for strengthening this uh, alliance. So, um, um, anyway, that's. Uh, Boy. That's one one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is it's a, it's a very strong shot across the bow of Russia. So these these countries, most of which are in the Russian sphere of influence, to use an old old um, uh, diplomacy term, but they're in the sphere of influence of Russia. They're also mostly energy dependent on Russia. So one of the one of the main points of Trump's visit to this group is to figure out ways that we can uh, tie our energy abundance and get and get a bunch of it over, primarily natural gas, over to these uh, these countries 
which are very dependent on on Russia for energy. So, I, I mean, it 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 could turn out to be a, a brilliant move. Who knows what he's going to actually do? I, it, it's also important. Let me just just to recall one really important fact. One of the first things, one of the first major diplomatic initiatives that Obama, President Obama, did this early on his first first year. He basically got out of the long-term, long-range missile defense system that was set up primarily in the Czech Republic and in Poland. And it was viewed by by the Poles and the Czechs as a huge slap in the face and a huge victory for Russia, which deeply, deeply opposed the deployment of those long-range missiles. That was one of the first things that he did. So I I can't believe, I, I don't know whether President Trump actually is aware of that, but for sure, people on his staff are aware of that. And I think in, in a way, it's sort of a tit for tat. Okay, we are coming back. We want to strengthen, we, the United States, want to strengthen the alliance with these um, Baltic, Adriatic, and Black Sea countries. Huh. So I mean, there's there's a lot going on here. The other Another thing people have said, and I think might, might have... Um, have something to do with this. These countries are largely very resistant to immigration. Mm. Poland is, is kind of a leader saying that, look, you guys, look at what, what are you doing? And in the Western European countries, you're taking in all these Islamic, uh, Islamic um, refugees, and it's hurting your society. I'm not making an argument about that. I'm just saying Poland has taken a very significant position saying we're not going to be Germany, we're not going to be France or even England when mm. it comes to uh, to uh, immigration. So I, there's a lot, lot going on. The other thing is um, Poland was the center. Poland was the beginning of the fall of the Soviet empire. And a lot of conservatives, a lot of people in the you know Republican conservatives, there's a very, very warm spot in their heart hearts for um, for Poland. And so I think that there's there's a lot into this. It's not just some random thing. There's right. Clearly a lot of things are being touched on uh, by this by this visit. And some people there are some people on the left who hate it. There, there a lot of there's a lot of you read the news stories, a lot of news stories sort of really decrying this yeah. Well, and in fact, we've even heard uh, Great Britain has been very careful about releasing the dates, or I don't know if it's the White House or Great Brit or uh, or Great Britain. Um, they don't want to release necessarily the dates of his exact visit, so that there's less, you know, backlash, fewer people to protest. Um, anyway, interesting stuff. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue our discussion with Joe Cannon. Joe in the know. Again, he's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, understand and maybe see through what's going on political, politically in this country. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the fun with this is Joe Cannon. Joe in the know, we call him, and uh, he just gives us any insight he can into what he sees going on 
back in uh, Washington, D.C. Today we've been talking about the Senate health bill, uh, the G20 visit that uh, President Trump will be making this week. And also we've got to talk about what's happening with Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Joe, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Hey, can I just say one thing? Yeah. You, you alluded to it just at the end of the last segment, but but there is a British uh, trip in the works, and I'm guessing we'll hear an announcement about that today. And there has to be, because forget about Poland. Trump's already accepted to go to France on Bastille Day. That's right. So, so uh, it would be an enormous insult to the whole anglo-american alliance our whole long-term special relationship if he were to go to france before or in addition to or, or instead of going to england, england. So interesting i'm pretty confident that that uh, we're going to see a uh, well we, they've already said there's going to be one like as you pointed out they just they haven't announced the uh, date but yeah forget about poland the insult to the British of him going to Bastille Day. Well, and I don't know. Th- this this really leads well into a discussion about um, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson because it, it seems like it would be hard to work with President Trump in simply just that he would step on your toes. His team behind the scenes don't seem to be as supportive of of uh, Secretary Tillerson. He's, Tillerson can't get some of his people approved and through. Plus, uh, President Trump makes comments on Twitter that end up, uh, you know, you know, undercutting him. So what what is what is happening with Secretary of State Rex Tillerson? Is he is he getting tired of this game? Well, okay. As I always say, I don't, I do not know the answer to that question. But there are many layers to this whole White House State Department relationship that are very complicated. And if you just look in light of the Trump administration, you might draw some conclusions. But actually, there is a very long history uh, as to between the White House and the State Department in general. You know, the the whole idea of the the National Security Council was set up so presidents could have more control over their foreign policy than just leaving it to the State Department. Uh, You might remember that Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had her own fights with Barack Obama Mm. over appointments. She she wanted to appoint her pal Sid Blumenthal to a position, and the Trump the White House said no. Right. I mean, sorry, the Obama. Obama, yeah. Obama said no. And um, so there's a long, long history. The whole – this it goes back even before, but kind of more famous examples are uh, Nixon as, as – uh, I'm sorry, Kissinger as Nixon's advisor before he became Secretary of State. Hmm. There was always Condoleezza Rice as the National Security Advisor – actually before she became Secretary of State. There, there, there's a long history just of policy differences between uh, the national security folks in the White House and, and uh, uh, at the State Department. Over and above that, you have the natural uh, – I'll get to the real Trump issues in a second – but you have the natural problem of appointees. Every cabinet secretary wants his or her people, period, the end, but the White House has all kinds of political pressures on who gets to be a political appointee, including who they want over there to either watch or at least participate in the in the policy call. So those things are pretty natural. What you have here 
that's a little less uh, typical is you've got a you know the CEO of the one or of the world's biggest companies. Hmm. He spent his entire career there. Um, he's a seasoned executive, knows what he wants, and he's being denied that. And he's being denied that on two grounds. One is just it's taking an incredibly long time, uh, both because of Democrat intransigence and and uh, not having and the White House personnel have us not pushing enough to get appointees out there. And then there's the difference of view over the appointments themselves. So I think he, I just from the outside and just from his, obviously he made a bunch of statements. Um, I don't know if they were made on the record, but they became part of the record about how unhappy he is about this process. But I, I haven't heard any rumors that he's thinking of going. I think it's, it's, it's a terrific job. And, and he's uh, getting to play in some really, really important issues. And I think the president trusts him and, and regards him well. Is now, it – I mean, I, I guess, yeah, it is kind of probably a battle of egos. But doesn't um, – it seems like – and you've, you've alluded to it historically on the show about kind of this hidden uh, management team that, that President Trump has installed with each of his department and cabinet heads – it's like a shadow head. Right, right. Is, is that right. going on in the State Department as well? Well, I think it was attempted there, but but I think, I don't know the medical terminology, but where you reject a transplant, yeah. I think the the political body has rejected this, this transplant. At least in a couple of instances I know, these so-called the White House observers, the observers have, yeah. have, have been basically cleansed from, from uh, the departments and, and – uh, given other jobs in the administration. Mm. I think I think there's been a more of a reversion to the status quo there. But but you, the White House still has huge two really really big uh clubs, big cards to play here. One is budget. Right. And the and I think part of what Tillerson was reacting to is, you know, uh, state department is after after EPA probably the the agency the department most slaughtered when it comes to budget and personnel and then the second lever the white house has is is these personnel appointments so you you have the big time ones that have to be confirmed by the senate so-called presidential appointments of senate confirmation pas but you have thousands of schedule c appointments which are political appointments those also uh, go through White House personnel, yeah. and uh, and there is always a um, uh, an ideological slash political tension between whoever the cabinet uh, secretary is and the White House. This goes it, it, it goes way back. I mean, it was in the Kennedy years, the, even the Johnson years, particularly when Reagan came, had some of these same exact tensions. Uh, because, well, the Reagan revolution, and we want to put re- revolutionaries in these departments. And a lot of the department heads said uh, no. Mm. And so there's a lot of tension over that. So some of this tension is normal and historic. It's exacerbated a little bit here because the president um, sometimes seems pretty inconsistent in how he's dealing with his cabinet people. On the one hand, he loves them, he gives them big hugs, and then on the other hand, he will uh, tweet out things that 
that under either seem to or in fact undercut them. In fact, let's let's talk about that really quickly. We've only got a couple minutes, but Trump and Twitter, he seems to keep undercutting them on Twitter as well and also taking on battles in the midst when he needs a victory he then takes on Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski I mean what's and is there anything that can be done Joe one of the things I thought is if there's anything that Democrats and Republicans in Congress all agree on probably or many agree on is that he needs to stop tweeting is there not anything they can do you know or together collectively to shut that down <laughs> To pass, pass a law, so pass a unique law just for him, or 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 sanction him, or I mean, because now they're saying he's he's doing activities on becoming the president, and this is the GOP member saying it, right? Man. Well, there is the pesky little problem of the First Amendment, which right. I think still applies to the to the president. A B, uh, you know, it's some, it's a default position. It's something he just automatically goes to. Uh, it served him in his mind. It served him pretty well. Uh, he got elected. You know, yeah. the, the answer to a lot of this is from his perspective. So wait a sec. I won. I'm the president. I'm sitting here. And I, I don't mean that in a, in a negatively. I mean, just mean right. it's a tactic that in his own mind clearly worked. The other thing that just uh, always amazes me is that Everyone decries it, but it works for him. It works for him in the sense that what have we been talking about for almost a week now? Uh, we've been talking about tweets right. uh, from the president of the United States. It's completely moved off the table. Uh, oh, where, where did I see it? Somebody did. Maybe it was – I know I know that Sarah Huckabee mentioned this in a press conference, but somebody did an analysis of how many minutes – are spent of news time on Trump's tweets yeah. versus tax policy. And it's like 99% to 1%. I've been making that up, but it's it's amazing. And so he, even now, it's like they can't, they, they the press, cannot control themselves. Right. They just rise to the bait no matter what happens. They rise to this bait. And I, I think part of it is an old, you know, social media term. But I think I think he gets a lot of delight out of trolling the press. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, in fact, and uh, Jake Tapper commented on it. Um, a lot of people comment on what else we're not talking about, and then he, they get blown up because yeah, you're the press. You're the ones that keep chasing this this crazy thing. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Uh, happy Fourth of July to you and your family. We wish you the very best. And thank you again for coming in and giving us what knowledge you do know about what's happening in D.C. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. Remember... um, Nobody, I think, said it more than President Obama. Elections have consequences. And, you know, at some point we got to get stuff done. I don't know that we will ever be able to have a President uh, Trump that's so disciplined that he won't take the bait to chase um, to chase certain, you know, talking heads, you know, Joe Scarborough, for example. But in the end, there's a really important point. He also has 30 million followers that he can directly influence. And if he doesn't feel like he's getting a fair shake with the press, then why not go directly? That makes sense. 
beating somebody up, calling people names, fighting about somebody having a facelift or not, whatever. I mean, it's just it's still unbecoming. It's unbecoming our leader, and hopefully he'll get a hold of that. But uh, wouldn't count on it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to give you the information, the latest, the greatest info you need to live healthier lives. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show on um, 4th of July Eve. A lot of people don't celebrate the 4th of July Eve. They would just keep that for Christmas Eve, I guess. A lot of people celebrated 4th of July on July 1st. Oh, did they? Mm Mm-hmm. Just because it was the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So then the 4th of July will just be a typical weeding day where you go weed your yard. In your case, Jeffrey, dry out your camping gear. (laughs) In my neighborhood, um, Saturday night, I was what, watering my lawn, and I came back in, and I looked at my wife, and I said, I think we're under attack, and I think what? we're losing. Yeah. No, we had some major explosions going off oh, yeah. in our front yard yesterday. <laughs> wow. We have neighbors that spent $1,500 on fireworks. Wow. That's like... That's yeah, a lot of money on fireworks. That's a lot of money. That's a trip. <laughs> it's a family vacation. On fireworks? Come on. Come on. Anyway, you we got what, a great You don't like show. fireworks? No, I love them. I think they're great. Hmm. It's just a lot of money. to. It's all gone in you know a smell of a puff of sulfur. Yeah, we were looking at fireworks, and I, I said, this is like $70 worth of fireworks. And I go, you do realize under five minutes probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could but, just light this package. It would be awesome, but it would be like 10 seconds of fireworks. How yeah. else are you supposed to know that you're an American? You have to blow up a small piece of it or you're not real <laughs> – Real Is that how it in. works? Yeah. To be an, a true blue American, you have to blow something up. In fact, you know, when uh, they are testing immigrants who want to gain legal status, uh-huh. they end the test with them blowing up a firework. Oh, yeah. They yeah. give them so many. They have to choose uh, an array of fireworks that would be the most effective explosive array. <laughs> Which represents your level of patriotism? This one? Yeah. yeah. It seems like it might be more patriotic. I don't know, to – Serve somebody, maybe start a company. If they go with a fountain or a smoke bomb, they get kind of some like, really? You don't want to rethink this one. It's crazy. Uh, Anyway, it's also Disobedience Day. Uh, Jeff celebrates this day every day. Wrong. Okay. Hmm. Seems a little disobedient right there. Right. Wrong. Okay. Still doing it. Still doing it. Nope. Dip. Um. Today we're celebrating Disobedience Day. We've got a lot of headlines we're going to get to, um, including Iran has now banned an extra an American, I guess, and it's American craze uh, exercise. Americanized, Americanized I exercise imagine it craze came from somewhere else. It has some rhythm. It does. It has yeah. so maybe Brazil. Yeah, but Brazilian, but then like marketed through, you yeah. know, tight clothes it's, wearing. It's Americanized. Yeah. Yeah. Fitness experts. It took over the pet store down the street from my house. Also, a weird chop shop you'd never believe. Uh, you know, chop shops that tear apart cars, then sell the parts and ship them off. You won't believe what they're chopping up in Florida. Meat? No, no. They're 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 vehicles. It's a vehicle. It's a vehicle of sorts. 
Well, you said I wouldn't believe, so I just thought that opened the door for yeah. suggestions. Well, whenever I say you won't believe it, you always go with meat for some reason. Well, it's kind of weird. Terry did that story with all the meat. Now I'm hungry. Yes, I did. Plus, uh, a little advice on if you're going to, uh, you know, break into a car, make sure you've got suspenders on, or a belt with, you know, the correct number of loops. We'll get into that, uh, even giving the benefit of the doubt, trying to come up with other reasons why a man might lose his pants while breaking into a car. We'll talk about all that straight ahead. Plus, our guest today will be teaching us about uh, uh, why the idea of single tasking is the new multitasking. Should you be a multitasker or a single tasker? We'll get into the uh, science behind it all. All of that straight ahead, but first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? An Amtrak train with more than 250 people aboard derailed Sunday near Puget Sound in Washington State, injuring several passengers, although no one was believed to have been seriously hurt. Local fire officials and rail services uh, said Amtrak said the locomotive and baggage car of train 506 of the Amtrak Cascades line running between Vancouver and and Eugene, Oregon, left the tracks just south of Tacoma. Rescue workers said the four, the first four cars of the 15-car northbound train derailed. Images of the wreck showed the engine lying on its side, and uh, that's never a good sign. You, never. You want your engine upright on the tracks. That's what Mama always said. A passenger jet caught fire as passengers were being evacuated after landing in Denver on Sunday. Nobody was hurt in the drama, which unfolded after the United Express flight, so United Airlines, once again, touchdown on short schedule flight from Aspen, Colorado. Passengers fleeing the aircraft captured mm. the moment. One of the engines erupting in flames. The uh, spokesperson for SkyWest, which operates the flight on behalf of United, said all 59 passengers were safely evacuated. And many of the passengers thanked the pilot and the crew for helping them off the plane. Ah, uh, there you go. So. Good time. Again, Good. United connected to something. Yeah, they, you can't win. Hopefully they won't talk about reaccommodating guests this time. <laughs> uh, some experts worry the U.S. is headed for disaster due to a baby shortage, the Washington Post reports. According to 2016 data released Friday by the CDC, the number of women giving birth in the U.S. is down 1% from 2015 and at a historic low. The birth rate now 62 births per 1,000 women. Between the ages of 15 and 44, experts are concerned about the national emergency if a shrinking population leads to fewer workers and a smaller tax base. And as usual, millennials are to blame. Oh, you know what? Just like with everything else in society, it's their fault. I know. The birth rate is currently below replacement level, a rate at which a generation can exactly replace itself. Older women are actually having more babies, but millennials are having so few the overall birth rate is declining anyway. As part of the declining birth rate in young women, teen birth rate hit an all-time low, so some positive news. Yeah, okay, that's great news. It dropped 9% from 2015. The teen birth rate has now dropped 67% since 1991. They can't get off their phones. That's right. One rate is uh, increasing, though, according to NBC News, preterm births. 10% of all babies born in 2016 were born early. It's the second year in a row preterm births increased, and experts say the current plan to cut Medicaid, which covers half of all births, would make that problem worse. Wow, what's happening there? Not sure. My kid, well past the term. Yeah, both of yours. Both of you had 41 months or 41 weeks. That's when like the turkey gets really chewy when you don't pull it out in time, and so yeah, it's like that's a great that's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saying and you don't want to overcook, right? It's chewy, a little chewy. And finally, we talked about burgers and hot dogs yeah. and barbecuing and meat. Now condiments. Oh, oh yeah, 
We talked a little bit about you know ketchup, mustard, barbecue sauce was the most yeah, yeah, popular. Yeah. It says uh, I found this uh, on a website. It says we we should be celebrating ketchup this Fourth of July. Why? Well, it says, let us take a moment to raise a bottle of ketchup and thanks and proudly toast its quincentennial American condiment. Oh, really? It is the condiment of America, ketchup. It is the queen of condiments. So it says uh, it says it doesn't generate the biggest sales figures. What condiment does, Matt? Uh, the biggest sales figures. The biggest figures. sales figures, I would go with, with uh, obviously, um, relish. If no. it's Utah, it's oh. fry sauce. No, right? it's or, or ranch dressing. It's a lot not of people barbecue are using sauce. I no. would have think it would it would be ketchup. Uh-uh. What is it? Mayonnaise. I think it's Oh yeah. Apparently cuz mayonnaise goes in everything. I don't see that as a condiment. It is though. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you okay? Are you more of a Miracle Whip fan? I love Miracle Whip. So do I. I like sugar in my mayonnaise. <laughs> my wife hates it. <laughs> she does? We always get the uh mayonnaise with the olive oil in it. Yeah. She likes that one because, you know, it's allegedly more healthy. It's not. Because mayonnaise and olives. Mm. I like Miracle Whip because who doesn't love a miracle? Right. It says ketchup still you brought like whips in. too. Uh, ketchup brought in $843 <laughs> million last year despite its modest cost. It's one uh, which we reach for most often is Bobby Flay, celebrity chef. Yeah, Bobby Flay. As he said, uh, ketchup is important to the American table. Wow. That's a quote from Bobby Flay. Did you just quote Bobby Flay? I quote Bobby Flay. In fact, 92% of U.S. households keep a bottle somewhere in their cupboard or fridge, according to uh, this guy from his NPD group, which is a food and beverage analyst company. You can put ketchup on anything. You can. Anything. My son refuses to put it on his mac and cheese, and I keep telling him it improves the mac and cheese. Yeah, that's really I've even had ketchup on spaghetti when there was no uh, spaghetti sauce, and it actually tasted pretty good. I had it with with spaghetti sauce and chocolate chips. Why? This sounds like Will Ferrell in the movie Elf. Yeah, totally. So it says it doesn't just sit there gathering dust like some jar of floral-scented chutney. Yeah, right. Says. Who needs floral-scented chutney? <laughs> a survey by Mintel, a marketing research firm in Chicago, found that almost half of all Americans consume ketchup weekly. Yeah. Which means they're purchasing more well, often. Except in need... my house where I get the big box store, massive yeah. bottles. We go through a couple of those a month. Lift with your legs. That's why they need to eat more steak because you should not be eating ketchup weekly. When you're weak, you should not be eating ketchup. You shouldn't be eating ketchup on steak either. And it find, and then, then, then that whole article goes into the history of ketchup. It's rather deep. Hold on. It goes on for pages Where are you here. reading this? It's, out of a, it's on the Daily Beast. Ketchup Weekly. Right, it just goes through, <laughs> right? Well, and this is the last, last one from a book called Pure Ketchup, The History of America's National Condiment. Really? It's a book. You can find this book. It says the sauce brilliantly takes an ingredient that would spoil in short-term amount of time and preserves it for a very long time. Tomatoes have a short shelf life. Yes. And and if you don't sell them all, what yeah. are you going to do with the rest of that product? So it's you recycling, really. Ketchup. It's yeah, it's more it's more effective. It's healthier for the environment. We're not wasting as many acidic. And then apparently in the 1890s, fruits. it's like what burgers, huh? and then you put ketchup on burgers, and ketchup is awesome. Sir, are you enjoying the escargot? No, mm, need some ketchup. Yeah, it's, it's salty. It's but this song is from the Grave Poupon commercial. Not the it might as ketchup well be. commercial. The anticipation commercial. Do you remember that? Heinz anticipation because you couldn't. You were just waiting for the ketchup to leave the. Right. Then they fixed mm, it and just made it a yeah. squeeze bottle. Now it just squeezes like we keep hearing. Uh, speaking of um, Grey Poupon, 
Deputies in Florida bust a suspected golf cart chop shop. I mean, of all things they're chopping up, it's not like the nice low-rider cars anymore. Nope. It's not the It's not your sweet, Honda Civic. No. Yeah. It's not the Bentley. Mm. So keep an eye on your neighborhood, Matt, because with all those golf carts it's driving true. around, it's you could great, have a chop shop It's there. a great point. Five people were arrested at a residence in the Villages, Florida. Investigators said one, uh, one, once a search warrant was served, deputies said they found evidence that an illegal golf cart chop shop was operating out of the residence. We actually found some golf cart parts as well. Um, there have been some golf carts stolen in the neighborhood. And then I guess they're quickly driven to these locations and then it's, it's, <laughs> stripped of their parts. It's a retirement community. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you see these old guys like from Brooklyn or something yeah. that are running a chop shop. And it was actually somebody's, the story was super long, but it was somebody's granddaughter who was running this out of her grandma's house. Really? Something it's a young like lady. That, yeah. Oh, yeah, the niece of the there elderly homeowner. Yeah. Allegedly ran the illegal chop shop. Unbelievable. Uh, right behind her grandparents, you know, her parents' back. And where did it say this was happening? Uh, Florida. Yeah. Oh, I guarantee you those parents were in on it. Yeah. No, yeah. they weren't. They say they didn't know. They're just out front watching they, their stories, taking their medicine. They're just, that's right, rocking <laughs> on their chairs. Got their Crocs on, they're they're just living life. Here's some bad news for you, Jeffrey. Zumba is now banned in Iran. Dang it. I know. Zumba is a form of exercise which uses dance to increase physical fitness. Wow. You're doing it now, aren't uh, you, Matt? A, look at Palakiko in there shaking it. <laughs> yeah. It's seen it's as good. a healthy, fun alternative to more traditional forms of exercises. It's now also banned in Iran. The president of the Iranian Sports Federation made the announcement in an open letter. Why? We're not exactly sure why. Iranian officials made it clear that any form of physical activity which necessitates rhythmic movements or dance in any form was not legal. Hmm. Any exercise which demands or requires rhythmic movements... Wow. I've been thinking of banning rhythmic movements in here as well. Sure. But that would just ban Jeff. Right. Because he's going on with rhythmic movements. Right. You and I have no rhythmic movements. I try not to. Uh, The decision You have other types of movements. Anyway, (laughs) go ahead. The uh, This decision has not been met favorably on social media, with users expressing their bemusement and slight disdain for the decision. Let us move rhythmically. This is going to create a new spring. Oh, an Arab spring? An Arab spring. Zumba? It's going to be a Zumba spring. Mm, Zumba. Seriously. It. You don't. I mean, you can mess with a lot of things in this world, but not a person's Zumba. We had a pet shop down the street. Somehow they cleaned out the pet shop smell and put a Zumba studio in there. See, really? They're, they're, they're jamming every night when you drive by. You, they have like a disco ball in there. I got invited to go to a Zumba class and. I didn't know what it was, right? So I had to go look it up, and then when I saw it on YouTube, I'm like, "Yeah, it, it was too rhythmic to me." If it wasn't for Zumba, there would be no DVDs in the one dollar section at the store. Great right. point. That whole that whole part of the department would just run out. It was a be, chunk of the economy that just wouldn't exist. Man, that's horrible. Uh, also, a Florida man loses his pants during an apparent bur- car burglary. It happens. It weird. It, this is out of Florida. Really. Mm-hmm. So strange. Florida man caught on camera taking a stethoscope from what appears to be a Lamborghini. That's where you'd find him. Yeah. And then uh, he was tripped by his own pants malfunctioning. Hmm. Hmm. Weird. The Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office on Wednesday released a home security video showing one of two theft suspects 
run, lose his pants, trip, and smash into the door of a getaway vehicle. Hmm. All of this taking place inside a gated community. Hopefully not the same gated community where they're chopping up <laughs> golf carts. Golf carts. I think there's something else going on here. What? That we don't know about. Like what? maybe he was in the car and he noticed in the passenger seat there was a pair of very rare like 3330 pants. And oh, they're so hard to find. Like expensive, like 501 jeans? No, like 33 waist, 30 length. Oh, like the ones that fit him perfectly. It's, yeah. it's a hard size to fit. It's like it's tailor-made for him. Yeah. 32, 30, 33? No, 33, 30. 30, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he couldn't Kinda feel, the, maybe he couldn't <laughs> feel the seat warmer. True. Plus, he's going after a stethoscope. So maybe, you know, I when yeah. I take my baby in to get checked, they use the stethoscope on his leg. So, you know, maybe he had to they do? get his pants down oh, wow. to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was it. Maybe he was yeah. checking circulation. And then he left in a hurry because maybe he himself is a doctor and he was on call that night. Maybe he's just against skinny jeans. Hmm. And so Which he, I he think got we really all should be baggage. on board with. Yeah. Skinny jeans are bad. There's a lot of... Yeah. If you look like what they call the muffin top... The Muffin Man. If a lot of you is coming out of the top of your jeans, then one ought to probably get a bigger pair. And honestly, the people who make and sell such a product that the vast majority of this country cannot wear, but you just blindly sell it to anyone, right? that should be the offense. That should be the offense. And if your body makes this sound coming out of your jeans... I think there's there's guilty parties all along the the retail oh, chain yeah. here. Totally. So maybe this guy was just trying to help all of us by having a bigger pair of jeans, and then when he took off running, those bigger jeans just fell, and then he tripped and fell into a doorway. Maybe they were so skinny that he couldn't reach into his pocket and get the keys, so he had to undo his pants. And we had a story a couple weeks ago. A guy walked into a convenience store and walked out with nine bottles of motor oil See, in his pants. That, that's the benefit of the bigger jeans. Right. You know any stethoscopes you can get out of a Lamborghini with those jeans? Well, you need the yeah, you need the motor oil to grease yourself up so you can get into the pants. No, but those were the the big jeans. He uh, could just keep stuffing them. And those pants weren't going anywhere. The motor oil was not <laughs> falling out of the pants. Yeah. He was going to get away with it if it wasn't for that cop in the parking lot. If it wasn't for those blasted kids. And then, as far as the you know the trip, maybe he was practicing his tackle, or you know what, rammed maybe, into the car. Maybe he was inebriated. No, come on. I mean, that might explain. You always go there. I know, but it just seems like, you know, the the easiest answer is the best answer. You can call him many things, but to call him a drunk, that just seems wrong. Yeah. Well, anyway, if, if the big pants fit, we'll wear it. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about why single tasking is the new multitasking, helping you get ahead in life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you a multitasker? Are you surfing the web, writing a paper, getting work done while listening to music, cooking, and managing your children or your coworkers? With so many activities and interests pulling at our attention, 
Multitasking is nearly a necessity these days, but is multitasking the most productive way to approach our day? Andrew Merle, author of the Huffington Post article, Why Single Tasking is the New Multitasking, joins us now live from San Francisco to talk about his article. Andrew, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Matt. You bet. Great to have you. Fun article. And um, when I when I think about it, I mean, I always hear you, are, you really can't multitask anyway. But what's your take? What is your view of uh, – or what, what's your purpose or your meaning of thinking why single tasking is the new multitasking? Yeah. I mean, I think that we're – you know, we're busier than ever. Uh, the intro sort of alluded to that. Uh, we're doing – many things at once, and oftentimes, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on, on how busy we are and how many things we can do at once, but my point of view is that, uh, that we can do multiple things at once, but we really can't concentrate on more than one thing uh, at a time, and, and we really can't do anything well mm. uh, if we're trying to do multiple things at the same time, and so this, uh, this post is really about, hey, how do we uh, sort of tap into our own minds, focus on one thing and do it well, as opposed to trying to do too many things and, and maybe sacrificing quality uh, yeah. at that time. In fact, and it's interesting, too, because, um, Andrew, you have another job other than just writing for the Huffington Post, right? I do. I do. Yeah. So, I, uh, I work in marketing for, for Cliff Bar, uh, you know, leading maker of, of organic food and drinks and um, – yeah, so you know. So you like are multitasking, too, right? Like many of your listeners, you know, I, I balance competing priorities all the time. I have a busy job, uh, many demands on my own time, and you know, to be successful, I think for any of us, uh, we need to you know, we need to focus. And I think that you know, focus is really one of our biggest competitive advantages. And it's hard to do that when we're trying to do too many things at, at the same time. No, absolutely. By the way, my favorite is the banana nut bread. Ah, just, so, just in excellent. case you want to push that. Um, but <laughs> I, I love it. It's great. We got to send some over to you. <laughs> Do and, it. Uh, in the office there. Yeah, send them. They're the best ever. It's um, when I think about it, Andrew, because you're to me, you're the perfect example. You're you're running a marketing you know group and and helping in your jobs day in day out. You're still able to research and put together articles for the Huffington Post. Plus, just your personal life and your social life. We, um, but your what you said earlier is so appropriate. We we think we can get a lot of stuff done, but what level of quality are we doing it? What what's really happening as far as our quality with all of this? Yeah, and I think you know a lot of times we're you know we're afraid to say that we're we're not busy, or you know it, it's comforting to you know, to be checking email or, or checking social media all the time because, it, you know, it gives us things to do. We're, we're constantly busy in that sense. But, you know, a point I make in the piece is, you know, busyness and, and productivity and sort of getting real work uh, and meaningful work done are, are two different things. And so, uh, you know, that ability to focus is, is so important. It's like in the middle of – if you met somebody that said, well, about, you know – Three times a day, I like to just stop everything and just sit for about thirty <laughs> minutes and think. Yeah, you, you and, would and, you would look at that person like really, right? And a lot of people are afraid to admit that, but I think you know you see a lot of a lot of business leaders these days, and and that's what they're doing. You know, uh, you know, Bill Gates famously is 
you know, taking weeks off throughout the year to to go away and just to think and to read. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg and others have talked about doing similar things. So I think that it's becoming uh, more accepted and more popular to say, hey, you know what, there is a lot going on. There are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of demands on my time. And kind of taking a step back and, and tuning into our own minds and thinking is, is more important than ever. And uh, you know that that's really the purpose of this story and hmm. this article. And uh, you in the article you cite uh, Tom Rath, who's been on the show, I believe, a couple times, and he he's uh, a New York Times bestseller of a new book, "Are You Fully Charged?" And in there, you use a quote that that he says, "Staying connected is now remarkably easy. As a result, getting anything of substance done is not. We now can be connected with so many people, and yet." still incapable of delivering the goods. Yeah, and I, you know, I love that line and I love the the book and he's a fantastic author and has written many great books. But yeah, I mean we we are more connected than ever uh whether it's email or our tablets or or social media and push notifications and other alerts, you know, it's it, it seems as though constantly there's some type of buzzing or ringing or, or something going on. And, and, you know, I think he and, and certainly I uh, will talk up the benefits of technology. It, keep, it keeps us so connected. There are so many benefits. But at the same time, I think it's more important than ever that we're able to manage them and, and take control of our devices instead of kind of letting them take control of us. And he talks really uh, effectively about that in his book, Are You Fully Charged? So yeah, you, I highly recommend that. You give the stats that he shares. um he says that people unlock their cell phones an average of 110 times per day, which is why, you know, Apple doesn't want to unlock it for the FBI. Come on. Um, an average <laughs> yeah, of 110. You know, I was amazed when I read that stat. And, you know, I think it's, you it's know, crazy. nine times an hour in the in the peak evening hours. And, you know, we, we, we all do it, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, at a moment, if we're, if we're bored or looking for something to do, all of a sudden we... You know that that's our 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 clutch, and we you know open the phone, we we check social media, check email, but then you know that diverts our attention again. And you know how do we focus on the most important things and spend our time doing those, uh, instead of kind of falling back on some of our our habits? Have um have you looked into? I mean, your brain's ability to actually do multiple things. You really can only tangibly concentrate with a high level of consciousness on one thing at a time, right? So if I have to write a paper, I I can only really focus on the paper at hand. Isn't that I right? Think so. I mean, yeah, if I, I want to chew I, gum, I can do I can chew gum and write a paper, but I'm not thinking about chewing my gum. Right. I think that there are mindless things that you can do and and you can multi multitask in that sense, but if two things really require your brain power and require your concentration, I don't think you're able to to do them effectively. I think that that's why you know, if you're if you're working on something and all of a sudden an email pops up that, you know, sends your attention in a different direction, I think we've all found that it's really hard to get back into the work that we were doing and we lose a few minutes in that process of going from one thing to the next. So if we can shut some of those things off, to, you know, turn off some of those distractions and have, you know, an hour of uninterrupted time, that seems like such a luxury these days, um, which doesn't mean it isn't important to, to take breaks. I think, you know, we all 
at some point, you know, hit fatigue and you aren't able to focus on one thing forever. So it's important to take breaks, but not trying to do too many things at, at once is the point. Yeah. In fact, let's take a break and come back and continue the discussion with you, Andrew. I want to get, when we come back, you've made a great list of some tools, some strategies we can use to take control over our devices and to tune in our minds uh, so we can actually single task and get stuff done. Um, interesting, interesting list. So we'll be back more with Andrew Merle, um, who is uh, a writer for HuffingtonPost.com, and his article, Why Single Tasking is the New Multitasking. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've all got so much we're trying to get done, and yet we have distractions coming in like crazy, um, and it's hard. And it's we we want to look busy. We want to feel important. And yet what a lot of this comes down to is just the one-on-one, getting something done, having enough time in your life to focus one-on-one and to even build your relationships uh, one-on-one. Joining us uh, is the author of an article titled, Why Single Tasking is the New Multitasking. Andrew Merle is his name, and Andrew has um, uh, been balancing his own life, a marketing career, and also a writing career. Um, and it's it's never, never an easy task to, to, to kind of do both. Andrew, thank you again for being with us. I mean, it's interesting. How does a how does a senior manager of sports marketing for Cliff Bar? How did you choose this topic to write about for Huffington Post? Oh, you know what? I think uh, you know we talked about the the Tom Rath book, yeah, uh, uh, just before the break. And I think you know I'm always uh, looking to read things and looking to learn to improve in my career, improve in in my life, and so. I think, you know, as I've read things and uh, insights have helped me, I've then tried to, you know, distill that and and share that with others, and hopefully that can help other people as well. And this is one topic that really resonates with me as I, you know, balance many different things in my life, as, as your listeners do. And so... I thought that these insights and these tips really helped me, and so I, I wanted to share, and that's why I, uh, I wrote this piece for the Huffington Post. And I appreciate it because the, just the distractions alone can be <laughs> overwhelming. What, what, what are the statistics on distractions? How much are we truly or really interrupted every day? Well, and I, you know, I put this in the uh, in the piece, and and some of the statistics that you know Tom writes about in his book is that, and we mentioned it before, that unlocking a hundred, you know, our cell phones 110 times per day, that you know when we're sitting in front of our computer screen uh, at work, we're interrupted about every three minutes. Mm. Uh, you know, some of the some of the statistics I've read are, you know, that we forfeit 28% of each day to distraction. Um, You know, a New York Times article, uh, you know, mentioned that, you know, only one in five people uh, say that they have the ability to focus on one thing at a time at work. So, you know, I think these are the things that, and, and I'm sure those statistics are you know, maybe maybe shocking to hear, but but not surprising. And many people feel that in their own lives and uh, in their own workplace. And so, you know, there are a lot of a, a lot of demands on our on our time and our attention. And so, uh, being able to kind of focus and and tune into our own minds is 
is setting people apart, I mm, think. Totally. I mean, maybe that is, that's the future advantage, right? The person that can tune in and dial out the noise is going to, is going to become the, the superstar. Not, I think so. You know, I not just so. the one that dances. I think the things, you know, the things that we'll be uh, really proud of, you know, 10 years from now or years from now, and, you know, plenty of people have said this, you know, it, it won't be a result of us responding to, to different things or, or sort of reacting to urgent, urgent things that come in. You know, it'll be, you know, setting the priorities and trying to, uh, to, to work on longer term and meaningful uh, projects. So, um, you know, what that means is that we need to, to limit the day-to-day urgent, uh, urgent things that take so much of our time. Okay, so teach us how to do that. What were some of the strategies? And I'm sure, you know, this isn't all of the strategies, right? Just what are some of the ones that you found uh, work in your life um, that that uh, you think we might want to focus on? I, I know one was just simply don't check your email, right, early or late. Don't check it first thing or last thing at night. That's one thing that I read from Tim Ferriss. Uh, you know, who, who wrote the incredibly popular, you know, the four-hour work week. And, you know, what he says is don't check email first thing in the morning or last thing at night. And putting this into practice for me really has been a life changer. And, you know, he says, hey, if you check email first thing in the morning, those priorities that you had for the day, kind of throw them out the window because you'll be uh, reacting to something that, you know, feels like an emergency or an urgent need, and it'll, it'll kind of throw your day off. Mm. Uh, which I think is is so true. Uh, so I suggest you know trying to do the most important thing on your to do list. Do that first thing in the morning when you're you know when your energy is high and when your focus is, is highest, and then check email from there. Yeah, interesting. Then, otherwise, yeah, otherwise you'll get you'll get you know interrupted or co opt somebody somebody else's emergency becomes your new most important thing of the day. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, the you know, the day flies by and we didn't get that thing done. And that will just stress us out the, you know, the following day. So obviously, email is necessary. We have to check email, but I don't think it needs to be the first thing that we do every day. I think that we can focus on uh, on a top priority first. Mm. Uh, and then last thing before bed is really, uh, you know, I think we've all had that happen where we check email before bed and then something, you know, sends our mind kind of spinning or, you know, a frustrating email comes in and then we're, we're up and tossing and turning throughout the night and, and don't sleep well because of it. So uh, I think that those tips that Tim mentioned in his book are, uh, have been really helpful in my life. And uh, I mean, another one um, is, and you mentioned it a second ago, but is finish your most important thing on the list early. Do it first in the morning. Why? I mean, it makes sense, but what have you found? How has that impacted you to get it done early? Well, one, I think it sets up. Uh, I think it sets up the day really well. I think when you uh, when you accomplish something right away, it then sort of sets off a chain reaction of accomplishment. And by the end of the day, you'll you'll see that you probably accomplished more than you ever thought. Uh, and on the flip side, if you had only a couple things you really wanted to get done for the day, and you get to the end of the day and you didn't do them. I think it causes anxiety, it causes stress, which, you know, then starts to, um, you know, to bleed into the following day. Mm. So I think that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pattern of behavior one way or the other, and it's about kind of setting up that habit of achieving something in the morning, 
uh, and then you know, sort of the rest of the day will follow. And it's some. It seems like so much of our the things that interrupt and distract us uh, in our day, like like an email in the morning, you can choose to just not look at it and and not react to it. But another one is just the the alerts, the notifications. You can choose to turn off the technology in ways that it's not constantly pinging you and interrupting you. Yeah, that's one of the one of the suggestions in uh, in the article is you know turn off those notifications. Turn off you know if you use Outlook or another email, uh, you know turn turn it off so that a box doesn't pop up when when a new email comes in because otherwise you'll look at that and that'll you know that'll derail you. One of the things I recommend is you know setting specific times to check social media, check email, respond to phone calls. You know, take a block there and do it all at once, as opposed to doing it piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another uh, another thing. Again, these aren't. You know, I'm not the first person to to say this, and it's easier said than done. But you know, blocking off that time will actually have you be more effective at your email during that time versus responding to each one as it comes in. Uh, you also suggest um, kind of taking your electronic devices and and having some time in the day where we just we're just shutting them down. We're not going to have the screens on, I guess you're saying about an hour before bedtime. And uh, what, what have you found as you've been able to do that? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, before bed, that, you know, that's really to set you up for, for a good night's sleep and, you know, limiting, you know, light exposure in the evening. Again, not exposing yourself to, to stressors that could come in. So that's been really effective. But, you know, I think also when you're, you know, when you're with other people, you know, you've made the decision to be with those people and spend time with them, whether that's, you know, lunch or dinner or coffee. And, you know, I recommend, you know, putting your phone away during that, uh, during that time, focusing on the relationship and the conversation that you're having, uh, you know, with that person. And that, you know, we feel like we always need to be uh, on our phones, but, you know, it isn't always necessary. Focus on, on what you have right in front of you. <laughs> so true. We just went to breakfast and um, as a family, and I look around the table, and I think there were eight of us there. Um, at, six of the eight were on their phones. Yeah, and I just—it was amazing. Uh, and it's so easy to have it happen, or yeah. you know, we're we have our phones with us all the time. And again, that's another thing where the buzzing happens. You know, a text comes in, or a push notification comes in, and all of a sudden we're looking at our phone, but. You know, how does it make you feel if you're, you know, out to out to a meal with someone and they're looking at their phone uh, ten times throughout that meal? So, you know, it, I, I think relationships will improve if we focus on, you know, the conversations that we're having with people uh, during these meals, and you know, put the phone phone down or the phone away during those times. Again, it's one thing at a time, focusing on that relationship, that conversation, instead of. Uh, being pulled in in a number of different directions. I love your your last uh, suggestion. Consider going completely phone free for one day each weekend. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I struggle with it. Have you been able to do it? And and what have you learned from that? I try to. I try to. And, and you know, I don't think it's practical uh, during the work week for a number of reasons. But if you put your phone away from, let's say, uh, you know, a Friday evening through a Saturday evening, chances are, uh, you know, no, nothing really bad would would happen. <laughs> right. And I think some of the most, you know, uh, you know, peaceful days uh, are those when you're not, you know, constantly looking at the phone or, or spending time with friends or family and 
uh, going outside, doing you know something uh, something fun, and I, I think it you know it, it it brings back the focus in many ways. You think about different things that you don't when you're when you're checking your devices all the time. So I think it's a great habit. It's one that I uh, I strive for, and and I definitely recommend to others as well. Yeah, I do too. I mean, and and just the discipline of it, and it kind of probably breaks the addiction a little bit. Yeah, and you feel good about it afterwards. Yeah, you know, I think you're you feel proud of yourselves. If you know, it feels like a, a mini accomplishment in and of itself. Not to mention the benefit of just hey, there's extra time spending you know time with others, extra time thinking or, or doing whatever else it, it is during that time. But you know, I think a, a Saturday is a great time to to do that. It's when we probably need to be connected to our phone the least. Yeah, and I love it. I think these are all great. Um, Great ideas. As we as we wrap it up, Andrew, what would you say? I always like to know the one thing. So, of everything you've learned about single tasking and and multitasking um, and mindfulness, what what is the one thing that we should all remember when it comes to you know better managing the distractions and staying focused? Well, I think it comes down to that you know we're busier than ever, we're more hectic than ever. Uh, it's easier to be distracted these days than it ever has been before. And having the ability to tune into our own minds, having the ability to to think, and and having the discipline to 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 focus on one thing at a time, I really think will uh, set people apart as we uh, in the future. And so. It does take a discipline, but I think it's it's so important. And so, uh, I would just say, you know, minimize those distractions and, and focus on one thing at a time, and that really will will set people apart in the future. Great stuff. Appreciate you, Andrew. Thanks for your great work. Uh, keep up the great work at Cliff Bar too, because uh, and keep making good food. Absolutely. Thanks so much okay, thank for having you. me, Matt. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, awesome stuff. Again, you can find more out about Andrew if you just go to his uh, Twitter page at Andrew Merle, um, and uh, or find him on Twitter. Um, you can also uh, just keep looking for him on Huffington Post and and uh, other writings. Interesting stuff. It really is. It's the it's the age of connection as far as being able to get to people and connect. I guess through technology with people, but that doesn't mean you are connected. It doesn't mean you are listening and paying attention. That's going to take place when you can actually focus on the people. Excellent stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come right back and uh, wrap up this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. A little, uh, this music's like the perfect walking through the fair music. Oh, yeah. You know, just because it's summertime. Actually, walking through the fair would probably just be one long country music soundtrack. <laughs> it's so true. And uh, so, because the holiday's here, uh, the 4th of July is tomorrow, lots of barbecues going to take place, probably lots of events you're going to go to, parades. Illegal fireworks. Illegal fireworks shows. You, you're going to have a chance to really connect with uh, not just uh, good times, good fun, loud explosives, but also some good, some really good food. So, uh, Terry wanted to walk us through 
some of the uh, all-time, I guess, best food, deep-fried food. Well, fair it's not food. the all-time. This is something that's currently being offered at the New Jersey State Fair. Okay. Well, who doesn't want to go to the New Jersey State Fair? But the problem is the State Fair food spreads. Right, it's like a disease, and it's then like it's all infection. across the country because <laughs> okay. people see it and they go, "Oh, right. I gotta then try I that. Gotta, I better have that." Yeah. So okay. they have uh, this one's more. I don't know if this is odd or what, but it's oxtail and plantains. Oxtail and plantains. Oxtail with rice and beans and sweet plantains. Plantains are good. Yep. What is oxtail? Not sure. It's not an oxtail. You're sitting by a computer. I guess I don't guess know. I had I to just, look it up. But I, okay. W- when you saw it on the plate, it didn't look like anything offensive. It just looked like, you know, what food Ooh, would look like. But. oxtail soup. Uh, it's kind of like a... Mm. Yeah. So yeah. there's some of that if you want to look of, at that. A lot of meat in the oxtail. There's <laughs> the meaty oxtail right there. Rainbow corn. Oh. The, the rainbow food craze. A lot of, a lot yeah. of people... Making things into rainbows. I know uh, there's an Oreo flavor forthcoming. Uh-huh. That's rainbow. Skittles are my favorite candy. Uh, rainbow food craze with popcorn, which tastes like fruity pebbles. Ooh. There's also cheddar, caramel, apple, and pizza flavored popcorn uh, at this one specific vendor. That sounds really good. I'd actually. try it. P- I'd do that. Pizza corn. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's uh, deep fried. There's a stand, a company called Crazy Fried Things. Oh, they that just, sounds they just They just try <laughs> original. Uh, fried bubblegum. Oh, yuck. Oh, so then you end up chewing it for like an hour? So you, you bust through the fried, crunchy outer. Okay, that's a second. That takes five seconds. To the cooked bubblegum core. core. Yeah, that doesn't look good. Let me see. Don't Ugh. even ask where they got the gum from. Yeah. See, the only reason that would yeah. be good is because it's fried and it has powdered sugar on it. Yeah, but I mean, then the part comes with you have the gum on the inside. They also have gummy bears, fried gummy bears. Okay. What do you think I, of fried gummy bears? I would try bear? that. I okay. would try gummy that. Bears. At least it would disappear faster than Bounce the gum would. But I, how would you know? Everywhere. How would you know which side to bite? I like to bite the head off of the gummy bear. Always. That's kind true. of what grandma taught. Always bite. Well, is it, Just so they can't watch you. Yeah, you is know. it the surprise on the inside? Like, yeah. yeah. But see, a, ooh, a warm gummy bear would be really good because it would be a little, it would be. Kind Pliable? Of, yeah. It would just kind of melt in your mouth. Hmm. Gummy bears, by the way, one of the worst things to put in your ice cream because they become hard as a rock once you do. Really? Oh, yeah. M&M's, too. Okay. I did not know this. Did so, not know yeah. this. How about- um, Fried bubblegum. It's mm. weird because- So that's what we're doing at our fairs. But in Great Britain, one of the one of the pub's most traditional dishes, listen to this, jellied eels. Eel? Oh. Eels? Eels. 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 Water snake looking. You things. read, uh, so you've heard of jellied eels, right? You guys like these. 18th century London River Thames was filled with uh, filled to the rim with with eels, and so they learned to take the eels out, chop them up, and then they um, boil the eels in a spice stock before then allowing them to cool, and it creates this gelatinous jelly around the eel, and then they're usually eaten cold, and they sell them in the pubs. It looks like fish cut into chunks yeah. with like white gelatinous mm-hmm. jelly around them. Jiggly eels, they're called. Okay. Mm, pass me the jiggly eels. It sounds, I think, honestly, I'd rather have fried gum. Fried gum. 
Or gummy bears. Or gummy bears. Wow, that that doesn't sound appetizing. The reason they used the eels is because way back when yeah, there was they, an infestation. But now, where do you get your eels? What if you? So, do they normally just eat whatever the current infestation is yeah. of the of the month? <laughs> That's it. Those are the shrieking eels. If you don't believe me, just wait. They always grow louder when they're about to feed on human flesh. Here's a that, that that's audio from wow. a pub in Great Britain. Wow, that's intense stuff right there. As they sell the jiggly eels. Scary stuff. Again, empty news. News you didn't even know you needed to know. Empty news. First on the scene, fifth on the facts. We're doing what we can to change your life. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, eat, you know, exotically right here. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Monday to you as you get prepared for the 4th of July. You know, remember how lucky you are to live in the country you live in, for heaven's sakes. Not only will you get good barbecue and uh, some incredible fireworks, <laughs> but you are l- quite lucky to be where you are, or blessed, what have you. I mean, it's such a beautiful place that Jeff is can can go to his backyard with his kids and sleep in tents. And then uh, get drenched. Air quote, camping with his family and feel safe doing it until... There was that cat, a, or was it a except, cat? Yeah, for the cat, I'm pretty sure it was a cat. A cat infected with some, I think, mange... I don't know if cats get mange, but uh, then you called your wife. She turned on the porch lights and uh, all was well. All was good, except for the heat. Camping, <laughs> Jeff Simpson style. See, I don't call that camping. But again, I'm what? one. It's sleeping out. It's I sleeping had a cot. Outside. We were in a tent. The cot, of course, had a mattress on it. Oh, really? So that, you know. Well, but or, that's not, again, you're in the backyard. Of your home, that we camp, were camping. In, we with, were in the elements. Yeah, among the elements. Yeah, you were in the backyard. There I was an know. element of something going on. Oh, there was an element of mangy cat in the air. Yes. Uh, scary, scary story. Um, he could have he could have picked up a disease, a mange <laughs> of some sort, a disorder. Uh, so much to worry about. So much to focus on. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about how to uh, how if you really want to start to improve your relationship, you probably need to begin with how you see your partner. You got you can't see them as you know, like making sure that your prescription. In your glasses is always no, no oh, more, okay. more like more like making sure that you don't see your spouse as a ball and chain kind of a thing. That the they're help not, that they're not the help. You're, you're here to clean. Thank yeah. you very much for cooking my dinner. They're here to watch your children. If anything, yeah, we are the ball on their chain. Oh, for sure. Dragging dragging them down. Yeah, hindering them from doing the things oh, yeah. that they want to be doing. In fact, I've noticed my wife is a lot happier when I'm not home. <laughs> It's so I, I wish my, my wife's friends would hide it better, the, their view of the, – they think that she is so great. And then I show up and I'm like, oh, you brought him. Oh. Okay, oh. Stop. No, stop, stop talking. It's, stop. it's one of those you, moments you just where, in here. Yeah, stop like where they look at you like, oh, you're so married beneath you. 
You could have done so much better, Kelly. And it's weird. It usually happens in an answer to the or response to the question when they ask, "What do you do for a living?" And I explain, and they go, "Oh, oh." Yeah, but you tell them you do. You're you're on the Matt Townsend show. You're the producer of. You're the senior yeah. queen. What do we call you? What's your title? King Queen. Well, he says he says radio producer. producer, and they say oh, and then he says on the Matt Townsend show. Oh. oh. Say no more. Hmm. Don't do it. Do it then say, didn't he get his gallbladder out? Right. No, usually they answer, <laughs> I listen to NPR. Do they say that? Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I, well, we're okay. not anywhere near well, there. Well, no, they're, they're looking at it. Well, that's radio too. Yeah. So that should well, be the same. But I mean, NPR is classy, smart talk, you know, highbrow thinking people. It's like if the person mm. works at a bank and then you name another bank. Uh-huh. Oh, I've had a bank before. And they're supposed to relate to the fact that banks are a thing. Yeah. So it just—it's a weird concept, but yeah, it, they always have a depressed look when no, I walk I in the Tell room. Tell me about it. Yeah, I ask my kids every day I get home, "Who's listened to my show today? Who listened to my show? Had a great interview today about this," and they're all, they all look at me like, "What? You have a show? Huh? That's still—that's still a thing that's happening still." Uh-huh. It's so weird. Do you ever tell me you have a podcast too? Yeah. Because, and by the way, out there in listener land, you can pick it up on iTunes, on Stitcher, right? On TuneIn, it's everywhere. BYU Radio, it's everywhere. I get to see you talking to your kids, you know, not letting them give you any excuse why they're not listening to you. Well, yeah. I, I, I don't know when it's on. I don't have FM. Well, it's on your phone. It's on your phone. Well, I don't, I don't ever look at my phone. You're lying. You liar. Wow. Uh, we've, we've decided we're going to um, have a sit down with our kids and we've got a really a brand new set of rules coming in for the phone. It's going to be a big moment. Hmm. Everything's going to be tied pretty much to the phone because it seems to be their number one love in life. That is the carrot yeah. at the end of the stick. That is the, yeah. Gotcha. It's the techno carrot, we call it. Are you going to turn off the Wi-Fi? No. Because I don't know how. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I, I just don't know how to do it. I, so, I hear parents are like, I just changed the password on the Wi-Fi. I own the house. Because nobody can do anything because I have the password. But so if I then change we, it, then I could never get it back and then it would my, be – But my thought is all phones have a data plan basically. And so who cares once the Wi-Fi is off? You just keep going. You no, have an internet connection, right? No, but then they start throttling your, da- your data plan. <sighs> That's you, so, we just got a brand that. new data plan and all of a sudden they're throttling us. You're going to sit them down and say, kids, it's us or your phone. Which is it? Wow. Kind of. It's yeah. going to be more like – you're going to have this uh, to accomplish every day, and you will not touch your phone until you do. I do the same thing with my six-year-old. So if you want it to be – He's got a phone? No, he's got a, an iPad. Oh, okay. Or yeah. he's got an iPad he uses. It's not his. It's not. See, you, you've clarified that. Oh, yeah. My go, kids think they own everything, goes, so we're go, teaching them. Who, whose iPad is this? He goes, yours. I'm like, All right, cool. Um, That's it. And then he wants to watch YouTube. Then go to your room. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me pull over. Um, so just a little parenting tips. We'll, we'll Is this going to be an effective approach with oh, your yeah. children, do you think? It really will be. Are they going to hurry and get their work done uh-huh. in a fast manner yeah. to get back to their phones? Because if they have to – they don't want to just sit – and if I then if I turn the cable off, mm. they won't have anything to do. Right? Then so I've got th- them. Do you have books in the house? We have a couple. Oh, okay. We have two of them. Both written by you. Yeah, they're my books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally going to get him to read my your books. Your bookshelves are just lined with your books. And they're both autographed, too. Yeah. You, you even autograph your own books. I do. To my favorite son. I wrote that in all five of my kids' books. In fact, books. I, I think I even saw a, a, a copy of Treasure Island. That was also autographed uh, by I you. I autograph every book. 
I don't know what it is. I just love autographing books. I just did a, a Betty Crocker cookbook. I don't even know how to cook. Lots going on in my life. You just life. add butter, right? Just add some butter. <laughs> add some butter. So we'll be, uh, we'll be talking um, about relationships, how to create fulfilling relationships. Also be meeting with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. I'm going to talk about all these super mega con- max contracts that are coming out Soon. and how all the NBA talent is moving to the West Coast. That's right. To the Western Division. You'll have so, LeBron on the East Coast. Yeah, and the other every, 14 best yeah. players in the NBA on the West Coast. So is this the time that everyone would want to move to the East Coast because you'll have a better chance of getting to a championship? Well, no, because you have to run into LeBron at some point, and That's, he's going to be yeah. there every LeBron's year. LeBron's going to crush everybody yep. except then it's really LeBron against the NBA. That's what it seems like. This is intense. Yeah. So we'll talk to those guys about that, see what they think, plus some more news and a hero of the day. All of that straight ahead. But first to Terry South with our national headlines. What's going on? Authorities say a blast believed to have been a gas explosion leveled a Pennsylvania home, killing one utility worker and injuring at least one other employee. The explosion was reported on 12-15 Sunday afternoon in Lancaster County. The gas company confirmed that one worker was killed, three others injured. He said the workers were responding to reports of a gas odor in the neighborhood. Mm. Two of the injured workers are in stable condition, while one other is in critical. The name of the deceased worker wasn't immediately released. Rescue workers said a resident was evacuated from the home before the explosion. The home does not exist anymore. Oh, There's no wow. foundation. Gone. It's just evaporated. Unbelievable. <laughs> There's there shards of wood all over the neighborhood. These gas explosions are uh, scary business. Uh, more than 500 San Diego high school students have been told they must retake the advanced placement test that they have been there that they took before, a month ago <laughs> was declared invalid. Oh no! The college board, which oversees the exam, said Friday that it's in- invalidated the AP test taken at the Scripps Ranch High because new seating arrangements established two years ago were not followed. Apparently, there's a specific seating pattern or whatever you need to do to take oh, the test. so you can't copy, To I avoid guess? cheating. And it wasn't followed, so they are disavowing all the tests and they'll do them again. The move means four or 540 students will have to retake the tests. The college board did not claim the students cheated on the exams, which can earn college credit. Um, 17-year-old Jonathan Liu, who took four AP tests in May, called the res- their retests a huge bummer. Yeah. Four tests. I took one. It's very eloquent, by I the way. I took a history AP test. Failed miserably. But he took four tests. That's But that's like days, right? That'll take days. It yeah. takes two or three hours for these tests. Right. Oh, boy. Yeah, and you're supposed to have that information if you're a senior moving on to college. And if you were somebody that was cheating, you're like really like, ah, boy. <laughs> Got to figure out how to do this again. Um, most connected devices use radio waves, be it Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, yeah. although it makes our lives more convenient. It's making astronomers' lives harder, according to Wired magazine. Radio waves don't just come from humans. They're emitted by objects in space, and scientists can use them to analyze just about everything from stars to nebulas to comets. Right now, some radio wavelengths are reserved exclusively for radio astronomy, but that doesn't mean they're only the only frequency space sends towards Earth, and it's getting harder to detect space signals through all the earthly noise, right? Wow. So we, we got all these devices Too that we're connecting. My thermostat at home, all this stuff's connected to the internet. It's got Wi-Fi signals. There's radio yeah. interference happening. A few years ago, a mysterious alien radio signals were detected in Australia in 2015 at, a, at an observation post, right? And yeah. they're like, oh, we're it turned out to be a microwave. 
in the break room because they could test <laughs> that someone's in there microwaving a burrito and they thought they were talking That's to aliens. That's why Jeff wears that, uh, that foil hat, that aluminum foil hat. Mm-hmm. Military and industry groups are working towards possible solutions, but they, they come with their own challenges. The best solution is to figure out how to share the spectrum, says the uh, Wired Magazine uh, writer here says, if you fill the spectrum with man-made emissions, you will never be able to understand certain parts of the universe because we have a Wi-Fi toaster or something. Such a great point. And we finally, don't need that. Corolla crayons. Crayola opens uh, color for their contest for the new crayon shade. Uh, ooh, oh, right? I thought we so did this they, last year. No, they just eliminate. They're dragging this out. Okay. So they've eliminated dandelion, which is a yeah. yellowish color, right? And now they're uh, moving on. They announced it was going to be something in the blue spectrum right. of colors. And now they need to decide on a name. So there's five options. By the way, one of my favorite uh, Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime shows is Bob Ross, Painting with Bob Ross, The Joy of Painting. He likes Tholo Blue. There you go. That's not one of the options okay, for the I'm name, just though. Okay, throwing that Beluga out Beluga Blue? Is Beluga Blue one of them? So for, uh, I don't I'll, think so. Well, mm. I'll give you the names quickly. But first, they've done a very important thing here. They did not ask for suggestions. Oh. So mm. no one's going to come up with, like, Bodie Gr- McBoatface. Bodie McBoatface Blue. Yeah, that's not going to happen. You're not going to have that or any, <laughs> any, any obscene suggestions. They, they figured, let's just take control, yeah. give people five options, have them vote. Here are your options. Blue Moon Bliss. Blue moon. Blutiful. Blutiful. Dreams come blue. Mm. Reach for the stars. Blue. No. And star spangled blue. No, it's got to be blutiful. Blutiful. Blutiful all the way. Yeah, blutiful. Fans can vote each day until the contest ends August 31st. You get one vote each day. What you could say to your wife is, man, babe, you look blutiful. (laughs) That would make her happy. Especially if she likes blue. Uh, I'm go. going beautiful. It'd be a new blue. Don't you think? You are so beautiful. It looks like it's a light blue. Yeah. So not really. It sure looks blue to me. Can I just oh, suggest? Oh, that's blues to me. Everybody, um, <laughs> if you want Said joy in your life, go. I'm sure you can YouTube it too, but look hmm. up. Bob Ross painting the joy of painting with Bob Ross. Man, you're really pushing this. Today. It's I'm telling you, yeah, it's this changing my life. Started 20 minutes ago like in the break because you like, watch on, a really man. intense show and you get sucked into it, and then I realize I don't end up talking to my family for a month while I'm going through mm-hmm. you know a, a big series. Right, and then I found the joy of painting with Bob Ross, mm. and now I I've I've watched it with each one of my kids. And we just sit in amazement as Bob Ross, out of nowhere, makes a lake appear on his uh, whitened canvas. Interesting. It's incredible. I can't get enough of it. I'm it is more, my new meditation. I'm more mesmerized by his fro. Oh, no. That's part of it. Is the, You watch the fro as he goes, and it's – but it's bringing back family time. My wife can't get enough of it with me. Hmm. She doesn't seem as mad at me while I'm on – my Bob Ross. Apparatus. Well, it's the soothing voice of Bob Ross that yeah. does it. When you're on Bob Ross. And you know what? It is a drug of sorts. And for he you. made a very good point. There are no mistakes, hmm. just happy accidents. Wow. That's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> you have no idea. And I'm learning a lot of his tricks about you can always put thinner paint on thick paint, but you can't put thick paint on thinner paint. These are true. So a little thinner will thin out the paint, and you can paint on top of it. There's no and. You could work that into a date night. That's right. And he, and he talks about contrast. 
And every other show, he'll bring in a little animal. He's he's incredible. Bob Ross, the joy of painting. Peace. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're gonna we will be talking about how to fulfill, uh, create more fulfilling relationships. Sometimes it just begins with how you see your partner. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, as a relationship coach, I spend a lot of time trying to help people learn to talk and sort through their relationship issues. But uh, what if we could just improve our relationship with the simple beginning point of how we see our partner? Every fulfilling relationship begins with how you see your partner. And uh, Gary Van Warmerdam is on the line with us to talk about it. He is the creator of PathwayToHappiness.com, an interactive website with lessons for changing beliefs that drive negative thoughts and emotions and behaviors. And he's here today to actually help us apply this now to our relationships. Gary Van Warmerdam, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to have you. Talk about it. I mean, are we, we kind of, I guess, overall get the idea that our thinking leads to our feelings and actions and everything. Um, but this also applies just as much to how we think about our partner as it does how we think about anything else in our life. And it's not only our thinking, but there's a there's a layer underneath our thinking that I call beliefs, you know, that that. that our thinking and oftentimes our emotions arise from. Huh. So, so in the, and this is an invisible interpretation mechanism. Say you tell a joke and one person laughs and finds it funny and the other person is offended. <laughs> Every day of my life, Gary. They, they have a response that they didn't necessarily consciously choose or think about. Right. But they have very different emotional responses to that same experience. And that happens at this invisible automated level of what I'll call beliefs. And, and it's hidden. That's, so the belief level is kind of, it's more of like our subconscious. Conscious. It's, it's this deeper kind of unexamined thing? It's unexamined until we realize this really is affecting how we feel. It's affecting how we behave. Hmm. It's affecting our happiness and sabotaging us. And then People go, I need to find out what's going on here then and become aware of this thing, this system that's been unconscious to me. So, and, and that's where that kind of inner work or self-reflective work begins to look at those layers. So walk us through an example of how we might be doing uh, or having beliefs about our partner in our relationship that, that might lead us to you know, an unhealthy relationship. So... Um, Woman asks her husband, will you take out the trash? Simple thing. Yeah. But he's busy doing something. He says, yes, of course, in his mind, I'm going to get to it. Um, tonight, before everything's done, to her, in her mind, she doesn't know, but she's like, 10 minutes is a good amount of time. He should get to it in 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, she starts to think, well, did he hear me? Did he forget? Did he get too busy? Do I need to remind him? I don't want to remind him. I don't want to be a nag. All of these thoughts are like, how does he see me? Interesting. And then 30 minutes go by, and her interpretation, her thoughts arising from beliefs, 
oh, he didn't hear me, he doesn't respect me, an hour goes by, he doesn't respect me, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care about me. Hmm. So the stories of thoughts are generated from this image we have of ourself. Now she feels hurt, and, and our instinct is in that pain to, to not realize that she's generating this emotion herself with her own thoughts and beliefs. But now she sees him not taking out the trash, and as far as she can tell, that's the cause of her pain, and she gets mad at him. Yeah. And so this happens, you know, without awareness uh, until we say, what's my half in this? And because we, we do have a say, right, in our beliefs, um, or, or have they just been handed down? Are these beliefs just kind of quiet scripts that have been handed down throughout our life? We've acquired these things and have no idea that they're there. Yeah, and, and, but they're like a, they the, could be a ticking and, time bomb. And we end up living these automated behaviors and, and end up creating dramas. And a lot of times they're, they're very good beliefs to function with in life, like, okay, if, if you're nice to people, they'll be nice to you. Yeah, right. And this is how we learn to get along and socialize, but you go out into adult life and, okay, I'm going to be nice to this person, they're going to be nice to me, but they aren't. And you keep getting uh, disappointed or frustrated or hurt, and you find out this belief, which was a good starting point, doesn't work for everybody all the time. You know, if you have a person in the office who's a sociopath, that belief system will fail you and lead to frustration and disappointment, hurt, right, and self-abuse in that situation. That is so, so true. And, and that's a really good belief to have. That's not even a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you should be able to just believe that people are good and they're, and they're going to, they'll be nice. Yeah. If you're nice to them, they'll be nice to you. A good principle to operate in a simple way we build as a child, but the world to operate in as an adult, we really need to revise. We need to revise these belief systems for, because they'll, they'll fail us at some point in some place. How do we uh, – it's interesting. How do we revise a belief system that we don't even know is operating on us? <laughs> well, the first, first thing you have to recognize, it's there. It's something's happening Assume here. something's there. Um, and then you start looking at things that are self-reflective processes. It's a journaling process. It's a – taking time to notice your emotions and consider what, what part is my interpretation of that? Instead of the automated, it's them, it's out there, own that responsibility. These are my emotions. There's probably, because I laughed at the joke or because I was offended by the joke or whatever it was, the trash incident, that emotion has got something to do with what I'm creating. Yeah. And, and that can be an uncomfortable realization, but the upside is, it's an empowering approach. You're like, if I'm responsible for this, I can change it. That's true, huh? And and, and then you can start to maybe detect uh, the – because out of this belief, like you were d- demonstrating earlier, we will eventually start having thoughts or interpretations like, oh, that person's a jerk. <laughs> that They're being rude. And then we, we start taking it a different direction. So you, I guess, somehow backtrack it from – your, you know, your act, your activities, your behaviors, your feelings throughout the day, and you can eventually track it back to, uh, by like journaling, you're saying, um, or other, you know, self-reflective things. I could track it back to finding the belief. You can track it back to finding the belief. You find what what is the part of my mind that makes this interpretation mechanism? Yeah, and <clears throat> it it has aspects of mindfulness 
And one of the techniques that I, I have in my book and my online course that I'll share is a lot of people journal first person. And that's not a very good way to get uh, an outsider perspective, a, a kind of observer perspective on what you're doing yourself. We can watch somebody else do something. We say, well, that's incongruent, and that's, they're contradicting themselves. And we can see where their, their arguments or their thoughts don't add up. But we have a hard time seeing our own. And so that's where writing helps to put it on the page. But one of the techniques I teach is write about what goes on in your head from a third-person point of view. Hmm. Get outside and watch yourself from the outside as if you're watching somebody else. And when you do that, you have a chance to, to be more neutral and, and not believe what your own thinking is. Because our tendency is when we're in our own thinking, when we're angry, it seems absolutely right. When we feel guilty about something, absolutely that feels true. Because our emotion fixates our point of view, fixates our perspective. It makes every thought seem true to that emotion. Hmm. But later, we look at it and go, why did I feel that? What was I doing? I overreacted. And that outsider perspective that often comes later is the kind of shift in perspective that we need to change and to identify the belief for one and to change that point of view. Because we do. The point we, of view we, is part of that belief. Yeah. You know, anger has a whole belief system story. Guilt has a whole belief system story. And they're their own bubbles. And we might have a favorite, right? We might defer more to anger or guilt or, you know, shame, I guess. And then we could we could probably see that a lot of our storylines lead to the same bubble. They have patterns. Yeah. My clients do this work and they'll, they will find their patterns. They'll go to, I feel hurt, so I got angry at them. And after I got angry at them, I started another one where I judged myself for being too angry and overreacting. And then I hmm. felt guilty. And so I went from hurt to anger to guilt. And then I had to do something to overplease to make up for it. And now you're so busy in one chain reaction to the next, you didn't really resolve the initial issue. Right. So this is part of kind of a long division problem. You can't do this math in your head. You have to kind of put it out on paper and say, what are the steps here? How did this go from one chain event to the other? You do it in your head, you, you're, you're going to lose track of some of these elements and, and not get to the underlying layer. This is great. I mean, really, it's just it's basic. It's head work. It's 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 head work. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Gary Van Warmerdam from the website pathwaytohappiness.com. He's also the author of the book Mind Works, a practical guide to changing thoughts, beliefs and emotional reactions. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, get some more tools from Gary on how we can go back and start uncovering our beliefs and uh, and better understand how they're connected to the emotions that we're all feeling. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's one thing every day, you know, as you struggle with your family, you know, a family member, a relationship, your spouse, it's easy to just think, oh, it's about whatever we're fighting about. It's about whatever the topic of the day is. Except if these topics keep coming up and the tension and the emotion keeps, uh, keeps growing inside of you, you might not want to keep 
fighting about the issue, you might want to dig a little deeper and find out what it is about you and track back uh, from your feelings to your thinking to your beliefs what's going on. And our guest today, Gary Van Warmerdam, is joining us. He is the author of the book MindWorks, a practical guide to changing thoughts, beliefs, and emotional reactions, and also has a great website called pathwaytohappiness.com, which has a lot of free materials there and online courses, things you can do to work on how you think and understanding your belief system. Welcome back, Gary. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Talk about... um, some more ways that we can kind of backtrack and and take the emotions that we're feeling and even the judgments I'm making of my spouse. How do I take a judgment and actually start working it back through my thinking and my and, and get down to my my belief system? Um, usually, with a judgment and criticism is one of the most destructive things that we do in relationships. Um, usually, there's this unconscious belief about the standard. If we, if we have a self-judgment about ourselves or something, oh, I shouldn't have gotten angry. Well, okay, what is that standard? Like, I should never get angry ever, uh, never raise my voice, never have that tone of emotion. Okay, that presupposes, like, we shouldn't ever have emotion mm. as well. So that's not legitimate. It's like, so if you find that standard, you're not allowing some expression of emotion. There's, there's a healthy place for anger, but... Probably not so much unless someone's really attacking you. Um, so what is that standard? What is the standard of taking out the trash? Should it have been done in 10 minutes? Okay, you write that down. Okay, I got really mad at him. He didn't take out the trash. When did I think he would do it? Yeah. <laughs> it's the standard when, that's bugging when, you. The standard is where the belief lies, huh? It's focusing it's, on the standard. It's not something we consciously think about. We yeah. Just, well, I just know you should have done it by now. Well, okay. It's in the, sometimes a subtext or it's not communicated because it's just assumed, and we might assume that they should know that also. Okay, not only should it have been in 10 minutes, but they should have known it's been 10 minutes without me asking. Oh, okay, that's my standard, but did I communicate that? That is so and true. so this is where then now the standard wasn't met, and we have this other voice in our head that kind of says, well, they didn't meet it, or I didn't meet that standard, therefore I'm not good enough, I failed or they failed. That judgmental voice kicks in when the standard isn't met and now wants to kick somebody with a criticism. Hmm. So these are two different parts of the mind that kind of build to a judgment. That is, it's so true. I mean, and if it's not done our, our way, if it's not done in our time frame, all of a sudden it's, and but again, that's the unspoken standard, huh? That we don't necessarily talk about or bring up. But what a it's great conversation if we could the, do that. It, and the more brutal ones that, that affect us emotionally are the ones we have of ourselves: how our body's supposed to look, how much money we're supposed to have, where we should have been in our life financially at a certain point. Um, you know, those are the ones that often run in our own internal dialogue with ridiculous standards. When we really expose them, we're like, you know, who would, who else would I apply to this, yeah. this standard to? And like, would I judge them for not having achieved X, Y, Z? Like, no, I like them; they're good people. But we will really berate ourselves internally in our in our own dialogue, and and that ha- that impacts us emotionally. Yeah, and then and then we probably act that out on everyone else. Those emotions want to come out somewhere. They're going to be mad at the world. They're going to be mad at ourselves. 
we're going to carry those around. And so, yes, emotions happen. Wow. Is, I mean, I guess this is why so many people go to blaming parents and because I guess we assume a lot of these beliefs have been instilled by our upbringing, but they've also been carried by all of us. We, we keep carrying them along with us because we never have known to go evaluate them. We, we don't get that course in school. And uh, it's true that they come from our parents, but they come from schools and religion, yeah. and grandparents, whatever. But on the playground, playing, something will happen. We'll get teased and we'll say, oh, I hate them. I'm never going to be anybody's friend. We isolate ourselves. So, so just in interactions, we create beliefs. Uh, that are going to happen. Uh, one client of mine, his mom was really unhappy. Her, her, his older brother was in Vietnam. He was 10 years old, and his mom was just, just emotionally upset every day that her son was in Vietnam, and he's 10. He's like, I'm going to make my mom happy, and his idea of me, I'm going to be a massive success. I'm going to be... And so he berated himself his whole life for not meeting up to that success and failing, and he'd forgotten why. He had this big voice in his head berating him. So here was this really just self-created, not that he got from mom. He just saw mom being unhappy, thought he'd try and make her happy, and this is the way he'd do it. Hmm. But ended up feeling like his failure the whole life, even though he's a great success. Yeah. By any external standards. He had this voice in his head. Can we help each other do that? Like... You, you have these clients that you're helping to see their behaviors or their beliefs. And um, how do I help my children question their belief? Ask them what they're thinking. Ask them what they're feeling. Make it okay to talk about their emotions and to just have them. Make it okay to talk about and explore the thoughts behind those emotions and it create a safe space that they can explore that instead of just repress it. Hmm. Yeah, the you safe know? space. Well, I mostly... No, go ahead. Most, and that's just listening. That's just saying it's okay to have these. But to really be able to do that, you've got to be able to do that with yourself. This isn't something you can lead something, somebody to do something you haven't done yourself. Yeah. Huh? And it... going, I don't want to go back to you know this, this notion we tend to blame our parents. Yeah. Uh, certainly they have a responsible role. You know, when we're kids, we're, we're under that influence. But at a certain point, what blame is, is it's not taking responsibility. It's, it's saying it's entirely on them. Um, and at a certain point, you have to say, I'm going to move past that consciously. And I say, I'm now an adult, or I'm now 15, and I'm going to take responsibility for what goes on in my mind now today i may have learned this pattern at five but i'm going to take responsibility for what i'm doing with it today and i'm it's up because it's really up to us to change it nobody can change what goes on in our mind internally and the thoughts we think and what we which ones we choose to believe except for us yeah and when you do that you step out of the victim blame judgment game to a different perspective and and you can change it from that point of view it's important to recognize it was there. It's important to, to recognize that you have it. But if you want to fixate on who did it when, you're not in – that diagnosis is not part of the healing and solution problem. Right. 
That's interesting. And um, we also use it to our advantage, right? So sometimes we like the, the belief because it, it you know, gets us out of stuff, but sometimes we don't like the belief because it makes us feel weaker. I mean, it's, it, it's also self-serving at times, huh? It is self-serving. At our own but cost. It's usually an illusion of self-service. Right, yeah, exactly. When you really investigate it, it, it at a surface level might seem I'm getting something out of it, I'm avoiding something uncomfortable. But when you dig to the layers, you go, you know, this, this is far more hurtful than helpful. Mm. So, so again, there's beliefs about it serving, but when you, when you investigate those, oftentimes it just falls apart and go, no, that really isn't working for me. That's not cutting it. It's too high emotionally. Well, Gary, we appreciate yeah. it. This is great insight. And uh, again, everybody, go to the website, uh, pathwaytohappiness.com, and look up his book, MindWorks, A Practical Guide to Changing Thoughts, Beliefs, and Emotional Reactions. It's not necessarily easy work, but man... Just to start unhooking two or three beliefs that you no longer have to hang and beat yourself up with, wow, could change your life and change your relationships, helping you see the good in the world, folks, which is you. You're doing a great job. You're, you're probably doing a lot better than you'll ever give yourself credit for. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Yes, 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 that is Zumba music. And when you think Zumba, you think BYU Sports Nation. So let's throw it down to our good buddies, two Zumba experts uh, and aficionados, Spencer and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. You planned to do this when you thought Jerem was going to be here. I totally did. Yeah. Today, I didn't today, realize Zumba was still a thing. I thought that was oh. kind of a fad. Well, you know what? Out. That's Something why we brought it up. Its place. Well, no, because in Iran, you're not allowed to do Zumba. Oh. They're banning Zumba because anything that has gyric, rhythmic movements uh, should not take place. And when I think of gyration and rhythmic movements, I think of you two. Oh, thank oh, you. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's why I brought it up. I don't know how to react to that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Wait, what? Say who? Huh? Hey, guys. How's, uh, how's your life? Um, how, was, um, how was Stadium of Fire? Oh, Stadium of Fire was fantastic. I was just talking about it with Jason Shepard until uh, our good buddy Dave McCann guaranteed a BYU win over Utah. Oh, boy. <laughs> in front of 60,000. Did like, he really? Oh, just don't. Just don't. Oh, you always lost six in a row. Just don't do don't bring it that because up. guess what? That's going to show up somewhere on yeah. some Ute chat board. Absolutely, and uh, stadium of. I mean, that's then that's fighting words. Okay, yeah, well, so. he lit the fire. Boy, throw down. It's going to get ugly anyway. Um, okay, here's what we got to talk about. Okay, NBA free agency. Yes, gone gone amok. It's gone uh, crazy. Emojis. It is the it is the best thing that has happened in my life. Uh, <laughs> Do you like that? I mean, now supposedly, well, we got to start with Steph Curry gets a super max contract, five years, two hundred and one million dollar. Yep. Again, it just it goes to show you that you put super before anything, and it makes it even better. <laughs> we will so all true. freak out about that until Bryce Harper gets his absolutely out of this world bonkers contract when his. When his deal is up with the Nationals. Yeah, he's going to get 400 plus million. Is he really? It's going to happen. 
That's and LeBron crazy. James next year is going to get a bigger NBA contract yeah. than Steph Curry. Unbelievable. I mean, well, it's like Matt Townsend money is what he's well. Be it's not in. that much. Is it going to be as long for LeBron though, or do you think he's just going to get like a two-year hundred million dollars? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it will be in terms of like like per year. It'll be big. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be more than stuff. It'll be huge, huge. <laughs> it will be huge. Now, here's the crazy thing though. Also, it seems like the West is gaining disproportionately of the talent. Yeah, everybody's going from east to west. You had Paul George going east to west. You had Jimmy Butler going east to west. Yesterday, Paul Millsap went east to west. So what does this mean for the east? It's just lonely little LeBron. Hey, but what about the Raptors, Jason? (laughs) They do keep Kyle Lowry. Hey, they retained Kyle Lowry. He's pudgy, (laughs) but he got a lot of money. Watch out for the Raptors in the east. Raptors. Hey, and now there's talk that that Carmelo, for all the Knicks fans out there, the Carmelo now is willing to waive his no-trade clause as long as he goes to either the Cavaliers Cavaliers, or... To the Houston Rockets, so there's a chance he could be coming. Oh, he can't yeah, come Mello to Houston. To Houston's, Houston's going to be too good. They got James Chris Paul, Harden, Chris Paul, and possibly uh, Carm. I, honestly, I would not want Carmelo on my team. The guy's kind of a cancer. I think well, it's listen, the Caramello. Rockets would have to play with three separate basketballs if they want to play with James Harden, Carmelo <laughs> That's Anthony, true. and Chris Paul. No, yeah, that would be a, just a, a ball hog. You can't keep people happy in that. And situation. he's going to the if he goes to the Rockets. The head coach is Mike D'Antoni, who was his coach in New York and who quit because he couldn't get along with okay, Carmelo. So that's not happening. He, maybe, maybe Love will leave the Cavaliers and Carmelo will go there. I mean, it's a possibility. And then the Jazz will pick up Love. You know why the Warriors worked so well? Because Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green were all willing to assume a certain yeah. role yes like steph curry was willing to just be like look if kd wants to be the guy i'm cool with that same with clay thompson clay thompson's production went way down but you think he's mad with that big old fat ring on his finger no again? no no who's think- mad when they have a fat ring on their finger exactly exactly That's a great point see this is why we come to you guys that and the zumba i just don't know that carmelo anthony could do that could no. Car- carmelo anthony go somewhere and be like look i'm James Harden, you can be the guy. Yeah, I'll play. For, yeah, I'm, I'm here for take you. Turns. You're so good, you can just take turns at who's going to dominate. Are they willing to do that? I don't know that they are. You no. know, speaking of Zumba, I think they really the the Zumba people. I don't know if there's people behind Zumba. Yeah, but the Zumba people, I think, missed out because they really should have like got together with the Zubas people. You Ooh. know those pants? Yes. That they used to wear like yeah. the, like like the crazy stripes. Yeah. Uh, that should have been part of Zumba. That could have been huge. That was a partnership I think that was a missed opportunity. The Zumba Zubas. I think I think we missed an opportunity there, but that's just me. <laughs> Darn it, dude. Well, you know what? There's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Are you guys still doing your show? Absolutely. You're going to yeah. do that today, Dave. Okay, so uh, what's going to be up on your well, show? Well, it's Independence Day Eve, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. So we're sticking with the independent theme that we've been going with all summer. It's been the summer of independence, <laughs> Matt Townsend. You're totally. Gonna, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah what angle are you taking today? Let's go well, independent the again. The angle today is, what is the greatest win in six years of BYU football independence? Ah. How do you define yes. that? I mean, what is, yeah. what is great? What is best? What, like, everybody will have a different tie-in to why they feel so strongly that, oh, this is the best win that BYU football has had in independence. Is it the quality of opponent at the end of the season? Is it the quality of opponent when you when BYU played them? Is it the national stage? Is it how it happened in dramatic fashion? Like so many different factors, and there yes. have been fifty two wins. 
So which of the 52 goes down as the greatest in six years of BYU football independence? Oh, wow. It's going to be – and we're going we're gonna to ask this question to Blaine Fowler, who's going to join us in studio. We'll, we'll ask him that question, and, and we'll also get a kind of a, a – we're three weeks away, Matt, from the start of fall camp. Ah. So, so what is happening with these players now? What can they do over the next three weeks to get themselves ready to go? Put the chips away, for sure. Hopefully. Put Hopefully those there's away. Been no chips. Hit Zumba like crazy. In Zubas. In Zubas. See how that helps you. <laughs> and it's a good start, right? <laughs> yeah. So we'll have, we'll have Blaine Fowler in studio, who I like to think of as All American, since we're talking oh, about independence. That's today. very good. Like you know, Blaine what? Fowler would be on our currency. If BYU Sports Nation yes. had currency, he would be on one of the bills. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good stuff. Or, you know, on the mountain, you know, if we, if we had his, his beautiful face like on Mount Rushmore. Good job, guys. Great uh, show coming up, I can tell. And by the way, happy Disobedience Day. Uh, obviously why Jerem wasn't on the show today. Disobedience Day. Good luck. We'll, by the way, four and a half minutes. You will be enjoying BYU Sports Nation, so stick with us. A couple of other stories we've got to get to. Uh, students at Southern California High School got a lesson in political corruption after it was revealed that a faculty advisor rigged the election for class president and two other offices. Who rigs a high school election? Matthew Broderick in the movie Election. I mean, who else? That's it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, in an email last week to parents, the principal of Vista Murrieta High said that the company had handled that handled the ballot counting, confirmed fraudulent votes made online that were changed and, and ended up changing the outcome of the of the election for the president and uh, the secretary. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable. This is unfortunate, disappointing situation. and I regret the impact it has had on students involved in the student body as a whole. Principal Mick Wager wrote, district officials would not identify the advisor who took responsibility for manipulating the votes at school um, east of the East Los Angeles uh, school, which is, by the way, didn't you grow up near there? This is this is Murrieta, California, yeah. you said? Yeah. So did they? I grew up in Anaheim, California. Okay. Well, so yeah. any, any cheating there? Yeah. In that story, they also say there was a company they contracted with to run the election. Yeah. So it's not even something they run out of the high school. It's this. There was a, another company involved. This they was bring like in a, a private firm to run a high school election. Unbelievable. A little extreme there. I, I, I hear the company came from Russia. It was a Russian company. It sounds like it. Can we just take that money that they spent on the election and put it into getting better food in the cafeteria? Yeah. Whatever happened to just getting an education? You know. I mean that. That's not bad, right? Can't we just worry about school and no education? No. <sighs> it's too bad for those cute little kids. They don't need to go through something like this. Kids deserve better. It'll scar them for life. I know. And now they're going to think that the political process in the United States is corrupt, that votes are being bought and had, that outside, in, outside companies can come in and can sway an entire election. Wrong. It's the last thing these kids need to be thinking. Anyway, uh, oh well, we'll uh, we'll keep you posted on that one. Also, as you know, we like to end the story, the show, with a hero story. And today, what a story! Seriously, if this doesn't make you feel good about being an American, I don't know what will. Uh, when Andy Mitchell spotted a young man in a fast food uniform walking along the side road in a 95 degree summer day in Rockwell, Texas, he felt compelled to pull over. Rolled down his window, offered the 20 year old a, a ride. The 20 year old's name was Justin Corva. 
and uh, not knowing that that gesture would end up changing this boy's life for good. While driving the Corva, uh, Corva to work at Taco Casa, Mitchell discovered the young man normally walks about three miles to work and home to work and home every day. And determined that the boy was uh, saying that he's going to save all all his money and eventually he's going to buy a car. So Mitchell, so impressed by Corva, this young man, posted it on Facebook and then started to actually get help and raise money. Hundreds of people in the community saw the post, including uh, Sammy Dalachahi, who's the owner of Sammy's Pizza and Bistro in uh, Rockwell. They ended up then putting up a donation box in his pizza joint. Uh, Also, a car dealership decided that they could help as well. Everybody got involved. About $5,500 was raised. They were able to then buy him a Camry, a 2004 Toyota Camry. Gave him a gas card, free uh, oil changes, all these different gifts. And then eventually pulled the car up in front of Corva's house. And Corva freaked out. He said, are you serious? This is your car. He then gave everybody a hug while wiping tears from his eyes as he walked towards his new car. That, my friends, is why you ought to be proud to be an American. And proud to just be somebody that sees the need and then does what you can. That's all being a hero is, is seeing a need to help and serve and stepping up and making it happen using your resources or your connections or just you, your time. That's why we do the show. We'll be back again, uh, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's 4th of July, but on Wednesday, bright and early, seven to uh, 9 to noon Eastern. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, BYU Sports Nation's up next.